0: Good solid month or so, Uh, but I think we feel refreshed. Yes, we've both been traveling. A little traveling, a little safe, good traveling. Uh, You, uh, the
1: hard day. Tell me about international travel. Uh, What's the situation? Uh, What do you have to do to get the hell out of here? It
0: was, you know, it's pretty great. Uh, We we, we bounced over to Paris, my first actual vacation overseas trip in more than a decade. Uh, Incredible to say. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's good, our daughter's old enough now to, to travel, uh, uh, still a lot of complaining, mm-hmm. but that's what you get with kids, but you know, she's, uh, she's old enough to travel and to appreciate it, and so it's not... Long, oh, long, six, seven, six, seven long hour, hour... Yeah, plane, you know, the plane long planes. flights. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it was good, France um, largely opened up uh, middle of June, uh, Eiffel Tower and the museums and everything was sort of back uh, back full. And they don't go. Uh, they didn't go into this um, this sanitary passport thing that's causing so much uh, fuss mm. until about uh, August first was the day. So we left before that. So we were there during a really good period when everything was was bouncing, and it was great. Getting there was not a problem. You you wear your mask on the plane. Yeah. Obviously, and uh, that is pretty rigidly enforced by some very, very scary uh, <laughs> flight attendants. Uh, <laughs> they, they, man, I'll tell you this: this one lady, I do not want to mess with her. Uh, and um, uh, so there is that. It's a little annoying, but you know, if you sleep on the plane, you don't you don't pay much attention to it. Yeah. And uh, the and then once you are there, um, it's you know, it, it was fine. It, it's like Paris as usual masking inside uh, department stores and inside stores, but uh, on the sidewalk and everything else, we're there for Bastille Day, the end of the Tour de France. It was great. (laughs) <laughs> it was great, and restaurants are hopping, and people are having dance parties. I mean, this was the great thing. We we wanted our daughter to sort of enjoy the boat ride on the on the uh, on the Seine, mm. so we did one of those. Which to me is usually one of those touristy things. Like the LA equivalent of that to me is getting on one of those dumb buses in Hollywood. Oh yeah, right? okay, okay, those, yeah. Those, those, that have no top on them. Like I, you would, you'd have to put a gun to my head to get me to do one of those <laughs> things. However. With an eight year old in Paris is like, okay, we'll do one of these. Yeah. So, but going by uh, uh, on that particular day, there were, there had to be like three, four, five thousand people on the banks of the Seine, right, uh, right opposite Notre Dame having three different dance parties. Wow. And it was amazing. There were, there were like a bunch of kids at one. It was, it was kind of a break dancing thing. <laughs> and then right next to it, was a salsa dancing thing. And then right next to that was kind of a more ballroom dancing thing. And you could tell it was an age progression, right? (gasps) But they were all there at the same time and it was clearly organized and it was just a lot of people. And it was, it was really good. It was nice. It was, uh, it was Paris, you know? So coming back, we had to, we had to transition through, um, through Germany. So we had to do this remote COVID testing thing, which I recommend to anybody, by the way. Mm. Um, you, you get like the, you know, they, they, you, you buy it online, they send it to you, you bring the kit with you, and then you log on, you create an account, you log on, and then some person on the other, other end will say, okay, hold this up to the camera, hold this up to the camera, oh. and you swab your nose, you stick it in the little hole, and, you know, if the two lines show up, you're good, if only one line shows up, you're not, or whatever, maybe it's the inverse, I forget. Mm. And then you show that up to the camera, and then they basically shoot a QR code over into your account. And then you got that great QR code on your phone. And then when you get to the Lufthansa counter, you show them the QR code and they say, uh, yeah, we're not set up to read that yet. Do you have any paperwork <laughs> printed out? <laughs> and, and, and and you go, I went through all that for you to ask me for paperwork. Where am I going to get a printer? I mean, seriously, I got a printer. I, I'm, I, 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 I was just in an Airbnb where, where that the, the doesn't come with a printer. What do you expect? Uh, seriously? Anyway, apart from that glitch, everything was fine. That's funny. That's funny. That's
1: funny. Yeah. That's, but a, look, you 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 got in there, a nice little tight window. Um, uh, you, you, you got in. You, you enjoyed the uh, the opening up of Paris. Got back. Me, I just went to see my mother in Saint Louis. And uh, in, in, in the state of Missouri, hey, that's is perfectly good. ridiculous. But, you know, my mother, my, my, I just wanted to see my mom. So
0: I was all good. Mostly hung out of her house. <laughs> so Fantastic. That's it's home, man. There, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for that. Uh, yeah. it, we oh. did not. Let me just say that in the time that we were in Paris, I did not relax once. Yeah. We were logging. We were walking between six and ten miles a day. Oh, man. A what? day. A day, it's, it's, the food in Paris, though, that's probably good. Yeah, because you know what? I did not lose a single ounce. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Whatever I walked off, I I made up in cream and cheese. So uh, there we go. That's how. That's how it was. But it was. Uh, it was good. And um, you know, there. And I told you this separately, but I'll say this for the listeners as well. Um, the there, there was something very, very revelatory in uh, going through that part of the Musee d'Orsay where all the Impressionists, uh, the the Impressionist wing, where you mm-hmm. have your Monet and your Monet and Renoir and Van Gogh and, and Cezanne and all of them. They're, you know, they're all uh, they're all thrown together, you know, Toulouse-Lautrec, who couldn't stop painting portraits of of (laughs) prostitutes to save his life. They were, uh, they're they're all there in one particular wing and it's, it's emotionally really overwhelming just to see it all one after another, all these great paintings that, that just, you know, you otherwise have only ever seen in books, Mm. but there's also the story of the impressionists. Oh yeah. And the story of the impressionists is nobody took them seriously. Yeah the the salon the salon that was you know sort of the, that oversaw all of the exhibitions in paris if you mm-hmm. wanted to be a painter you had to be exhibited in the salon well they just ignored them and and wouldn't give them the time of day and in the end they all had to get together and exhibit their work on their own they did it themselves mm-hmm. and 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 you know who remembers the work from the the other guys that were exhibiting at the salon well not many
1: well, look, hey, look, the salon at that particular time, we're talking about the you know, near the turn of the last century is what we're talking That's about. That's right. Um, was, was, was still, um, um, uh, mostly about classical representational painting. Uh, yeah. th- th- things that look like what they were, what they were being painted. And, uh, and, and looking at these people who were painting with dots and smudges and, and uh, you know, yeah. and, 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 and all this kinds of stuff. What are you people doing? You know, and, uh, and 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 that that this this term that we use now, impressionism, that didn't exist then. Of course, they weren't walking around, true. calling themselves. It's, it's 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 our impression. No one was saying that then. That's no. that's that, that's a term of art that comes 25, 25 years later. Um, uh, but it is it, it is a sort of fascinating thing, though, Um uh, that, that, that when folks talk about, uh, for instance, like modern art, but folks talk about modern art and you know, how they. Hate modern art. Can't stand modern art. Um, I, I have to remind them. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 there was a moment in time when when folks were looking at uh, uh, that 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 Morisot and and Degas and all of that, and they hated it. You know? <laughs> they sure really true. hated it. So you know, relax. Uh, your grandkids are going to love this crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and
0: and the thing that that occurred to me there was what a great metaphor it isn't even a metaphor it's, it's an analogy it's an it's an analog it's a predecessor even to to what what has happened before in the movie business mm. And, um, and to what probably needs to happen again, which is that, you know, every, right now everyone is kind of complaining all over again about streaming. I mean, the one thing we should mention is Scarlett Johansson suing Disney. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, which has gone south very hard. I mean, yeah. you would think that Disney would be a little more circumspect about, uh, uh, but then they turned right around and badmouthed her and said, oh, she has no sympathy for people during a pandemic and she's so rich. It's like, well, you know, as, as a producer interviewed by the Hollywood Reporter said, Look, that money's either going to the town or it's going to the studio. I mean, it's yeah. going somewhere. So yeah, but you if, know, if,
1: no one no one suffers if from the pandemic is going to get one of those
0: bucks. That's, what That's not the issue. Yeah. No. So if you're, you know, if you're like, oh, she's so greedy. Well, what do you say about the studio? Yeah. If she doesn't get it, the studio is just going to get even more of it. I mean, it, it somebody is going to get massively wealthy off of this. So there, there's, yeah, like you said, nobody who's, who's unemployed during the pandemic is going to get that. So um more lawsuits apparently are on the way. Mm. A lot of people are speculating that Emma Stone, maybe next, uh, suing for, uh for what, uh, you know, she lost uh, off of the streaming debut of Cruella. But nonetheless, the point being that everyone is complaining now uh, about streaming and losing money and not be having creative freedom. And you know, that my movies aren't getting into theaters and they're not making these kinds of movies. And this kind of movie now has to become a series. And, and you're, you're putting yourself at the mercy basically of the salon, Mm. right? It's, it's the, the current day Hollywood structure is the, the, the salon de Paris of, of uh, 130, 40 years ago. Yeah. And and maybe everybody needs to kind of do that UA thing all over again. You know, that's how UA happened. Yeah, yeah. We'll Was Chaplin, Chaplin, and Pickford, Pickford and, and Fairbanks and Griffith got together and said, um, you know, we're we're fed up with this. And uh, maybe something comparable has to happen today. Maybe the people in Hollywood who are in a position to do so, who have the power, who have the names, maybe it's time for them to just say. Shine it! I'm we're, we're going to band together and we're going to do our own thing and uh, and change it again. You know that we need that we need that infusion every once in a while.
1: Yeah, and, and of course it's all it's all incredibly complicated right now. Uh, you, you know the the, the pandemic is, is in fact still the pandemic. Um, how theaters theatrical exhibition. Um, we'll, we'll manage it stuff. I, I get it. You know, the movie theaters are back. People are going to the movies. You see those NATO ads on, on television and, and all of that stuff. But, um, uh, we cannot pretend like there aren't a group of people, uh, a, a sector of people who are simply not ready to go do that right now.
0: Um, and it'll uh, take. It'll. It. It may take years.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, and in the, and, and in the meantime, we have all of these things that we never had before. All these streaming services you know, you, A jungle, jungle. Uh, with jungle book, cruise. jungle cruise, jungle cruise. Yeah. You know. Um. um I, I, you know what I think would help is some real serious transparency on the part of these companies regarding how much revenue is being brought in, uh, from streaming, uh, services. Right. Real. Oh yeah. If 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 I'm Scarlett Johansson and you tell me. Uh, look Scarlett, uh, you know, movie theaters over here, we did this, this is what we brought in and streaming on those 30-buck tickets uh, your slice of that in other words, if every one of those 30-buck subscriptions mm-hmm. had been, you know whatever, I guess two ticket sales or something I don't know, whatever yeah. uh, um, you know, your cut would have been, you know thus and such all things being equal, we, we're going to give you a piece of every bit of the appropriate amount of viewership from your movie yeah, and and, and and so you know, so I don't. We'll talk but, about but,
0: that. But it, nothing's hard about that. But you and I both know that that the the Wall Street bean counters who basically run uh, the show, whose job, again, this and this gets into a bigger conversation that we've had many times. But their their job is not to make us happy as no. film critics, or to make audiences happy, uh. or to make talent happy. Mm-hmm. Their job is appreciation of stock value. Their job is to make shareholders happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, they resent talent for that, for, for how they interfere with that process and for taking money off the table. And uh, they resent the theaters for that as well. Yeah. So they want to migrate everything away from theaters, away from talent deals, away from everybody who sort of chips away at shareholder value at anything that might, you know, because it's not even the money that they earn. It's being able to go on that quarterly call uh, four times a year and say, we just saw earnings increase X percent. And then the analysts in wall street say, Oh, well this is a buy. And then shareholders, you know, see their value increase and they can sell and they can do what they always do. And all the rest of us kind of get caught out in the cold. So that's why there, there, there does have to be pushback from talent, but mark my words. You remember the last negotiation with the writers and the actors. Mm. That was all about streaming revenue. And that was whatever it was, seven, eight years ago. Mm. I, I can't remember the last time. But, but, and it went, they tabled it, right? The studios came and pleaded and said, we just don't know what streaming looks like. It's all kind of very embryonic now. And we don't know where it's going. And we can't, we don't want to commit ourselves. So let's just wait and see where this goes. And then we'll have that conversation down the line. They played that game. Well, we're there now. Yeah, we're there, and um, it, it, it's it's to a place where when these contracts come back, it, 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 there's going to be there, there's going to be real pushback. Yeah, uh, the Directors Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild—they're done playing this game. They want their piece of the pie, yeah, yeah. and they're going to get it. Yeah, and it's a real big pie. Um, and, and and there may be some strikes. There may be some strikes. We may be in for a, for a prolonged six, seven, eight month strike at some point. And,
1: and, and of course, the, the 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 previous disturbance that we just experienced with writers and and, and agencies and, and breaking yes. all, all of that apart is going to play yep. a, a big a big part in all of that. Uh, yes. Because because the talent will have a little bit more leverage now. Uh, than they had before, because for one thing, uh, it will behoove agencies to actually, um, um, uh, lobby for their talent. That's right. <laughs> and that's
0: it, a great point because the agencies now, because the WGA pushed them, the agencies now are backing out of the packaging business. So they are now more invested than they ever were before in the 10% business. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, and, baby. I'm going to
1: get you every cent you got coming
0: because that's, that's going right. to be more money I got coming. That's right. So now that it's all that more, much more important that they actually get those big profit sharing deals. And, um, yeah, I think the studios and the, and the streamers are screwed. I think they have a very rude awakening coming. Uh, they're, 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 their gold mine period, their gold rush period with Disney Plus and HBO Max and all of these of uh, being able to sort of say, we're going to push our movies there and we, now we don't, now we don't owe you any money. We don't owe the theaters any money. We're going to see if we can, uh, kind of bolstered. i i think that's a that's a very narrow window and that game is going to go south very quickly yeah yeah look yeah.
1: at the end of the day you can't keep kicking talent in the balls because eventually
0: there's
1: a talent uh, just you know just pay them their money man uh, and, uh, and 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 but you know man we'll see how that all
0: goes yeah. We will indeed. Well, let's let's get going here. Uh, a lot of stuff is racked up over the, over the past few weeks. So let me. I want to. I want to uh, plow through a bunch of stuff from Warner Archives. Yeah. The Warner Archive collection uh, continues to be one of the great gems out there in the uh, manufacture on demand area of uh, of Blu-ray. It is all on Blu-ray now, by the way. Uh, Warner Archive Collection no longer releases DVD manufacture on demand titles, mm. MOD titles. It is all Blu-ray. And what an amazing bunch of titles. This is what you got to choose from. A bunch of old noirs and thrillers here. Uh, These are all worthwhile. Uh, Crossfire is an absolute classic. Uh, Robert Young, Robert Mitchum, Robert Ryan, and the wonderful Gloria Graham, of course. Uh, This is is just a fantastic, fabulous noir. A great Robert Mitchum noir. Uh, As Tim knows, I've been immersed in a lot of Robert Mitchum noir in the last few months, uh, for reasons I will divulge at a future date, but, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it, this is really just absolutely terrific. Robert Mitchum is just such a great hard boiled guy. And no, uh, that is, is a pass. very, very fun, fun film, uh, scripted by, uh, John Patton, uh, Paxton, uh, it has commentary by film historians, Alan Silver and James Rossini on it. Really, really good stuff. Uh, we've also got James Cagney and George Raft in Each Dawn I Die, which is also loaded with special features, all kinds of vintage stuff from uh, you know 1939, uh, Warner Night at the Movies, um, shorts and all kinds of fun stuff, featurettes, uh, really, really great stuff. There's, there's a, a fun little car- classic cartoon on here that was uh, Oscar nominated as well. Cagney and Raft just doesn't get better. Man. Um they won't believe me with uh Robert Young and Susan Hayward. Uh Susan Hayward, I always forget what an what an amazing, great femme fatale she was. No, man. Susan Hayward's just absolutely pitch perfect. Um, not not a lot by way of extras on here. This was uh this was an RKO film originally, it came into the Warner Library. Uh Bogart and Eleanor Parker. We always forget about Eleanor Parker. She's another one that kind of went away. Uh yeah. in Chain Lightning. Uh, not, not the sort of epic Bogart that we're often accustomed to, but still super, super great. Um, this is a little bit more of a, more of a drama than a, than a noir. Uh, it's, a you know, a world war two and pilot, uh, melodrama, but you know, it's, it's Bogart. So it kind of, it kind of, kind of lives in the, uh, it lives in the, in the noir realm a little bit. It's, it's noir adjacent. I would say uh, Lawrence Tierney and Anne Jeffries in Step by Step, which oh, yeah. is sort of a kind of a kind of a minor uh, noir figure. This is also an RKO film. Uh, this has this really cool short on it, which is almost worth the pr- price of the uh, purchase alone. Um, and by the way, you know uh, Lawrence Tierney and Anne Jeffries previously starred in Dillinger. This was a film that kind of reunited them together. Uh, it's basically an espionage film. Uh, you know. It, it's fine. It's fine. It's not brilliant. But it has this really, really cool short on here, The, uh, the Transatlantic Mystery, um, which is really pretty awesome. I, I'd never seen it before. And then they have The Great Piggy Bank Robbery as, a, as an animated short. And the last of the, uh, the noir bunch is I Wouldn't Be In Your Shoes <laughs> with Don Castle and Elise Knox. Love these titles. I Wouldn't Be In Your Shoes. Uh, this is a minor noir, but a really, really, really good one. Uh, this was one of the earliest films produced by Walter Mirisch of the Mirisch Brothers, who, yeah. would of course, go on to do all the Pink Panther movies and a lot of Blake Edwards stuff, uh, some some Billy Wilder stuff. I mean, you know, and by the way, Walter Mirisch, we should point out, is still alive. Oh, yeah. 90, he's like 97 years old, still goes into the office every day on the Universal lot, coat and tie, goes to his office, still has his production deal with him. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't cost them a lot to, you know, pay for that office, but <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to cut the, the, you know, Walter Meirish off, uh, at the knees. So anyway, they, uh, they, they started with Monogram in the late forties. And, um, this was, this was a Walter Meirish uh, production and it's based on a novel by Cornell Woolrich. It's uh, and it's a good, solid classic noir uh, you know, with some with some very very decent actors, and uh, they restored this from the original nitrate elements, so it is absolutely pristine. If you can see this on a great great uh, system, you do yourself a favor and by all means do it. Um, we've also got some. Let me uh, dip in here. Got a few westerns. No. Um, there was a Crooked Man with Henry Fonda and oh, yeah. Douglas. Yeah. Also uh, Burgess Meredith, Warren Oates, Hume Cronin. You know that here's the thing about Burgess Meredith. A Friend of mine used to actually. No, you know who it was? It was Mark Kaiser. No, oh, Mark? Mark Kaiser. I was thinking of somebody else that I knew who knew Burgess Meredith, but no, it was Mark Kaiser who used to say, uh, Burgess Meredith has been 80 years old for 70 years
1: <laughs> He looks exactly the same Whether you're watching him in, a, in that Twilight zone uh, where his glasses Get broken Or Which is like I don't know probably the early 60s And then 25 years later He's, he's running around behind Sylvester Stallone. and Rocky looks exactly the same <laughs> yep. and, and, and you're, and you're, Just forever
0: No matter where you go Burgess Meredith looks exactly The same yeah. Well, this is a, this is a Joseph Mankiewicz movie that is a is a great kind of Western noir. It's great. You got uh, it's all it, you know, the MacGuffin here is is a half a million in uh, in, in loot. And um, you've got a you know, you got a a, a, a crook who's who's going to try to recover it. And then you've got a, uh, a prison warden who's who thinks that he's on top of it as well. And, and a lot of really, really fun stuff in this thing. Uh, it's it's a good solid uh, kind of a late Joseph Mankiewicz movie. Um, there was a crooked man, yeah, and uh, then we also have a, a little older, more the traditional western, Escape from Fort Bravo, with a very young William Holden. This was an MGM uh, melodrama, kind of a western melodrama. William Holden and Eleanor Parker, There's some good supporting performances here. Um, uh, Polly Bergen is is absolutely terrific, and then. Um, Guns for San Sebastian with Charles Bronson and Anthony Quinn is absolutely a whole load of fun. Um, Charles Bronson, people forget what an that guy had a body on him. Oh not man. To be believed. Insane. Just born that way. Uh, uh just it, unreal. Absolutely unreal. You know, we always think, you know, I, I, my, my Charles Bronson was the guy who was already, you know, aging out, making all the schlocky, uh, uh, knockoff gun movies in the eighties for Canon. and, you know, it was Death Wish four, five, six, or seven, <laughs> and all that stuff. But when you go back to to the '60s in particular, oh yeah, uh, I mean, what was that series that he did? Man with a Camera or something like that. Real yeah. young. I mean, this is,
1: this is, this is like probably mid '20s, early '30s. Charles Bronson uh, in it's that great series. Stuff. kind of like a Naked Gun kind of series that he was in. Uh, and, yeah, and just
0: absolutely nuts and scary as hell, even then. Well, this has a little bit of the man who would be king in it. You know, uh, Anthony Quinn is is running from the Mexican army, winds up in a small little village where uh, where everybody kind of takes him to be this messianic figure, um, and uh, and and then you, you know you get then then it then it kind of turns into a uh, I mean it it turns into a little bit like oh god what's that Nick Nolte movie and it, it playing the fields of the Lord a little bit uh. it's a little little bit of that anyway uh but there's a lot of a lot of men who would be king in here too and uh it's it's very very well put together. I really really enjoy this film, directed by uh henry verneuil uh a director that we otherwise don't really remember much mm. um a bunch of musicals too I know elvis movies people don't typically consider them musicals they're sort of like Elvis movies yeah in which Elvis sings some songs and that doesn't really. It's not quite the same, but it happened at the World's Fair. Is still a lot of fun. That's on Blu-ray now. Uh, we can get that with uh, Gary Lockwood from 2001 and Star Trek showing up in a uh, sporting role. Directed by Norman Targ, who, of course, did a lot of great uh, Jerry Lewis stuff, too. Uh-huh. Broadway Melody of 1940 with Fred Astaire and Eleanor Powell. Um, priceless. Absolutely priceless. The uh, Broadway Melody movies were kind of like uh you know what 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 Gold Diggers was yeah. for um for Warner Brothers the the Broadway melody films were for uh for MGM they just made a ton of them and then sticking Fred Astaire in there by nineteen forty was was great. Oh by the way one of the earliest best picture winners was the original Broadway Melody. Yeah. Uh Annie Get Your Gun with Howard Keel and Betty Hutton. Betty Hutton is just absolutely terrific here as uh uh, it, this this great Broadway adaptation, uh, you know, with the Irving Berlin songs, and it's just absolutely terrific. Um whole lot of fun. Uh, Betty Hutton, so good. I forget, Was I think it was just the one Judy Garland was originally supposed to be in. Was that the one? I, I think it was, actually. I, I forget, the one that Judy Garland was fired from. Um, I think it was. Um, Anyway, directed by George Sidney. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty great. Uh, Athena is a lesser known musical with Jane Powell and Debbie Reynolds and Vic Damone. Mm. Uh, A guy named Edmund Purdom also shows up in this. I don't remember Edmund Purdom at all, but apparently he was a thing at the time. Uh, But this is another fun MGM musical. Debbie Reynolds is the real reason to watch this. Jane Powell is great, but Debbie Reynolds is just amazing in everything she does. Uh, MGM's beautiful beautiful Technicolor Ziegfeld Follies was uh, a huge de- I mean if you're going to make a movie about Ziegfeld you got to compete with Ziegfeld Man. and this was just an amazing Vincent Minnelli directed complete uh, blow up it was just it's great in every conceivable way um, it does justice to the material everybody is in this thing Fred Astaire Gene Kelly Lucille Ball Judy Garland um, uh, Lena Horne, Red Skelton, Esther Williams, Fanny Bryce. It's amazing. Like everyone shows up in this thing. They just, they went to town. It's beautiful. It's one of Vincent Minnelli's most entertaining films. And then lastly of all of the, uh, uh, the uh, musicals is the Busby Berkeley directed, take me out to the ball game. Uh, um, I of course have been very immersed in Busby Berkeley lately. As Tim also knows, uh, Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, Gene Kelly, um, really, a, a, a fascinating film in the, in the period because Gene Kelly and, uh, Busby Berkeley did not exactly get along with mm. each other, but they, they did make, uh, more than one movie together. Uh, the story of this one is quite interesting and, and, uh, you don't really get it here because there's no commentary, but Stanley Donnan and Gene Kelly, um, wrote the story. And were, of course, very close friends, would go on to direct uh, uh, Singing in the Rain together. And uh, Donan was sort of uh, Kelly's, you know, backup guy, his, you know, his mentor in many respects. Man, they hated Busby Berkeley. <laughs> it, it, it just did not get along. Anyway, uh, another uh, classic one from the MGM period. Um, uh, you know, it's, Frank Sinatra has kind of forgotten a little bit in this one, but it's okay. It's okay. Take me out to the ball game. Uh, fun, fun film. Some more recent films from the Warner Archive Collection that are worth mentioning, really quickly, is uh, Quick Change with Bill Murray. Oh yeah, uh, right as the
1: clown. Oh my God, uh, one, of, one of my favorite scenes of Randy Quaid before he went nuts. Uh, <laughs> that's the, right. The most exquisite, Gina Davis
0: uh yeah yeah that movie. It, it's great. directed by Howard Franklin who who previously did the 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 Public Eye yeah. which my which my mother-in-law by the way was an extra in but it has a very is 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 like almost a featured extra she there's a there's a huge close up of her as she kind of <laughs> walks into you know and then the camera pans over to Joe Pesci she's and she's you know i mean I'll talk about it. On the it's, a whole anyway, thing. Quick, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's a thing. Quick change. Um, yeah. Howard Franklin. Why isn't that guy doing any movies a, a anymore? That's, that's great. Uh, Drop dead gorgeous with uh, Kirstie Alley and Ellen Barkin and Kirsten Dunst and Denise Richards. What happened to this movie? Oh
1: man. I remember that movie. I it's crazy. I remember that
0: movie. Yeah. that was. It was a fun little comedy at the time. And they're all still around. They're all still with us, just not making movies. Yeah, Uh Cur- reverse, yeah, reverse. She's skinny again. She's, she's got she got skinny. I, she was skinny in that movie. She got fat and yeah, got skinny got fat again. Got skinny again. Yeah. Uh, and then we, of course, have uh, the barbe Schroeder directed "Reversal of Fortune," which uh. won an Academy Award for Jeremy Irons as Klaus von Bülow. Um, the late Ron <laughs> Silver a- in absolutely magnificent here. Uh, it, 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 and it's it's funny now. You know, uh, at the time. I I had no idea who who uh uh Alan Dershowitz was. Like yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know. I was like no, yeah. well interesting. I didn't follow the trial or anything. Now now that Dershowitz is is in front of our eyeballs 24/7 yeah. and thanks to you know the OJ trial and everything else I mean you know Dershowitz is everywhere now and Ron Silver isn't and you watch this and you kind of go Gosh, I love Ron Silver, but he's not acting anything like, like Alan Dershowitz, Dershowitz is at all. <laughs> all.
1: Based on the true story, you know whether did did or didn't uh, yeah. von Bulo kill his um, wife, uh, yeah, the, the heiress or whoever, whatever she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. You could never make a movie about that today. No, no, you could. That would not you be a, that would not be a feature film wherein somebody might get nominated for an Academy. That would be a showtime. Yeah, that'd be a showtime movie. At best, at best, yeah.
0: If not, if not, just a straight-up Jerry Springer episode, but whatever. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Christian Slater in Pump Up the Volume, which became kind of a cult movie at the time, you know? that pi- This pirate radio concept. Um, you know, in the age of streaming and podcasts, doesn't really mean anything no, anymore, does it? No, yeah,
1: yeah. But you're right. For, for a moment there, it was like this little happening thing.
0: Yeah, well, it yeah. was. That's, uh, well, that, that's out on, uh, on MOD as well. And I am elated to say, Tim drunken master two on (laughs) blu-ray i cannot i cannot celebrate this enough here's the thing drunken master two the jackie chan uh the sequel to his original 1970s era drunken master um it came you know 16 17 years after the fact but
1: early 90s or something like that early 90s it's
0: early 90s it's an amazing film i mean it is epic it is fun. Jackie sings the theme song, which is hilarious. Um, the music's great. Everything is great, but it's mostly famous because Jackie went to one of his predecessors, Lau Young, who was sort of the great Hong Kong movie star of the Shaw brothers period with a great choreographer. I mean, Lau Karlyung is just, you know, uh, and his brothers re- re- changed the, the landscape of martial arts films in Hong Kong. And Jackie put himself and Lau Leung in the same movie, and they, they had conflicts because their entire philosophy of action filmmaking was not the same. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark La Carleone directed the film and Jackie had been directing. And so they they had some creative clashes. But boy, what the, those clashes resulted in is some amazing fight stuff. It's just incredible. Um, this is one of the best Jackie Chan films. It's one you absolutely absolutely have to see. It's finally on Blu-ray. The ending sometimes uh, ticks a lot of uh, some people off. You know, the ending is a little bit not PC, but it's a gag. It's a dumb Hong Kong, you know, comedy gag, and there's a lot of those. Don't think about that. Focus on the film. It's on Blu-ray. It is absolutely beautiful. Warner did right by that. Yeah. And then the uh, the last few here, I'm uh, just roll through real quickly. Madame Curie with Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon. We've had a few Marie Curie movies yeah. in recent uh, last couple of years. This is still the original and the best. This one haunts me to this day. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful tribute of a to an amazing uh, historical figure. Uh, Lana Turner and MGM's Green Dolphin Street. Terrific melodrama. Really, really good. Um, uh, Cary Grant and Myrna Loy with a sporting turn by Mel- Melvin Douglas and Mr. Blandings builds his dream house. This has shown up in a bunch of uh, Cary Grant box sets on DVD, now out exclusively as a standalone on Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, they're slowly putting out all the Thin Man films on Blu-ray. The first Thin Man previously released. Now we have another Thin Man with uh, William Powell and Myrtle Loy, another thin man.
1: I mean, William Powell was still bumming around Beverly Hills when I first got here in the early 90s. Really? Yeah, you'd I'd, I'd see him every now and again. Uh, oh, yeah, that's he, great. He was, he was great. Love William Powell. What a, he looked to be like a- 95 or something, though, so, you know.
0: Yeah. Just so, so one of the we don't have actors anymore. They're so gifted with just spitting out dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Just blam. Just let it let it flip. Just that's a, that's a 30s and 40s thing.
1: Technically, in, in, in all those movies, uh, Pal, uh, all those uh, he was playing a cop. He was a cop. A detective. Yeah. Uh, but if you didn't know he was a cop, you'd never <laughs> know he was a cop. You know, but
0: that, know.
1: It was so, so so funny
0: uh betty davis and errol flynn in the private lives of elizabeth and essex a uh, queen elizabeth the uh period film that uh, still resonates uh betty davis playing a lot older than she was at the time yeah. but you know davis and errol flynn come on uh, frank sinatra and debbie reynolds hold it down with celeste holm in uh the tender trap for some reason david wayne also shows up in here because his last name is wayne david wayne i look I, I, I love David Wayne, but I'm sorry. He's just not a very good actor. Uh, nonetheless, The Tender Trap, nice, uh, <laughs> nice classic CinemaScope, uh, Technicolor, uh, uh, MGM movie. Dr. X. Yeah, uh,
1: those, those, those are some of the mid-50s movies. Uh, they still have this look to this this, sh- this, 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 this richness. I love it. Uh, and it really comes, it really, it really I comes through it. in Blu-ray. They, much more than it did, you know, oh, when you yeah. watch them on TV. They, these movies don't look on, on Blu-ray. They don't look anything like they look as you've been watching them broadcast on television, on any of the, you know, the places where they pop up. They don't look anything like that. Um, uh, these movies yeah. are rich yeah. and lustrous and, uh, and really just beautiful, beautiful films.
0: Yep, they are. I, I just love the look. I love it. Um, a nice Michael Curtiz-directed uh, first national thriller, Dr. X. Uh, you know, um, kind of, again, not the greatest film from the Michael Curtiz uh, body of work, but this has been beautifully restored uh, by the UCLA Film Archives. has a whole bunch of great extras on it, uh, and uh, it also has a separately filmed black-and-white version um, really, really, uh, a, a nice collection of materials on this one. Uh, Dr. X, um, uh, Errol Flynn shows up again in objective Burma, just basically a kind of a standard world war II programmer, but that's fine. You know, uh, that, that, mm. we needed some of those at the time, holding down the war effort, uh, the year in yeah. which my wife absolutely despises Gregory Peck and Jane well. Wyman. It's, you well, know, well, it's yeah. saccharine. It's sappy. It's like the original Bambi. What are you going to do? uh i i, I
1: wouldn't show that like i wouldn't show no, i wouldn't show that i wouldn't show that to my
0: kid i wouldn't show it to my kid I, I, no you
1: got to wait until somebody's about oh, no 15 and, emotion, and, emotion, and emotionally you can't you can't <laughs> be showing that to little kids <laughs> Freak freaking no, the hell out no. like bambi why the hell would you show bambi
0: <laughs> no well, i don't, don't, don't gonna know kill a mom. We, we we have not we shown my daughter we have not shown my daughter bambi and look uh, my daughter does definitely she's very aware of the fact after having watched all of the various princess movies a thousand times uh, the, the, there are no moms in these movies. Yeah. The moms all die. Yeah. All die. And in the case of Frozen, uh, both parents die. Yeah. So... Um, Then we got Bob Hope and Lana Turner in Bachelor in Paradise. I don't know who thought that it was a great idea to pair Bob Hope with Lana Turner, but but (laughs) Bob Bob Hope thought it. (laughs) That's who thought it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh it's a fun pairing. It really, really is. Uh it was it's it, you know, it it's it's a later uh Bob Hope movie, but I'll tell you it's great because Hal Cantor, the great Hal Cantor, uh co-wrote the script and what a what an amazing comedy writer he was. Uh, Agnes Moorhead is is lovely in a supporting turn here too. Um, uh, and I'll tell you my Hal Cancer story here in a second before we move on. And then real quickly, last two, uh Boris Karloff in Isle of the Dead. It's just, you know, it's it's a it's a ridiculous uh spooky film that you know made for RKO in about 18 seconds. Uh this is a you know an early forties thing. It doesn't really warrant uh much discussion, but it's got Boris Karloff, so there it is. And then lastly, uh, I mention this only because some people are fond of this. I am not. I think this is an absolutely terrible film, but um, The Bermuda Depths was a live-action film that was an attempt by uh, Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass, who of course did all of our little animated holiday specials and and whatnot, uh, you know, they, should, they need to stick with Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Frosty <laughs> the Snowman and all that stuff, because when they, when they tried to do live action, it just did not work. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, you got to give them credit for sort of wanting to stretch a little bit. It's not a good film, uh, but, you know, it's got an audio commentary on it, uh, and there it is. The <laughs> Bermuda Depths kind of terrible um so my real quickly my Hal Cantor story yeah um I went to a years and years and years ago uh, there was a a, a a comedy writers well it was generally a writer's thing that they had at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica I can't remember if it was writer's guild sponsored or not but it was right like writers on writing it was a nice little sort of convention and a lot of good panels and um there was a comedy panel that had Hal Cantor on it and it also had Norm Macdonald on it I don't even remember who else was on that panel. It was a lot of very, very distinguished comedians and writers. But all I remember from that was that Hal Cantor was moderating, and he's a crusty old guy. You know, he's, he's and every time Hal would start to say something, Norm Macdonald would interrupt, and hey, it, just, I, it just, he just start kind of talking over him like this just And Norm <laughs> was doing it. No, it didn't matter what Norm was saying; he was, he was messing with him. And, and then Hal would go, so our next topic, and as soon as he would say our next topic, Norm would say, yeah, hey, you know, I, I know all about topics. Topics are funny. And he just start talking over it, just interrupting it, just to get on his nerves. And the audience was laughing so hard. And Norm knew it was funny. Norm knew that this was just get, And this shows you the difference between comedy. And Hal did not find it funny. <laughs> that was not funny to Hal. Hal, and, and Hal, at a certain point, Hal shot Norm a, a look that was like, if looks could kill. And Norm just grinned. He just sat there and smiled like, I got you. I got you, didn't I? It was, it was just priceless. That's the only thing <laughs> I remember from that panel. Only thing I remember. It was brilliant. It was yeah, genius. Yeah. Hal Cantor, of course, no longer with us. Uh, uh, Hal,
1: uh, that was that? It, was it, I think it was Alan Alda. If it bends, it bends It's funny.
0: That's, that's right. That's breaks,
1: right. It's not funny. What is it for? With, crimes and misdemeanors, maybe.
0: Cri- I think. I think that's crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not funny. That's great stuff.
1: Uh, uh, Norm bent it. That's funny. all
0: right. Where, where do we turn now, Tim? What's uh, what's next?
1: Well, let's 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 poke at some some television. Uh, I suppose. Yeah. Right. You got a, good, you got a yeah. little stack over there. Have the complete Rugrats. Uh, which is in, which is insane to me Ru- Rugrats um, has been around forever and there was a Rugrats movie uh so what do we have here in the complete Rugrats collection Is this all of the episodes
0: uh, to date or Does this it, does does it include that movie from a few years ago no this is the uh this is the complete series okay boy it's a beautiful box set the complete series I, look I'm not a huge fan of Rugrats, but I have to be nice to it because a very very dear friend of mine from from film school was uh was part of it worked on it did
1: hero did oh. ever watch him
0: not really no. it's it, it she does and she doesn't kind of get it either like it's been on a couple of times uh on on you know nick when when she was watching things and younger and just didn't didn't respond to it. it's not her not her speed um she doesn't really like shows about kids per se she likes the only little girl shows she likes is is peppa pig and uh sarah and duck those are the only ones that routinely mm. responds to. Uh so but this is you know this is this is good for some kids. It is a complete series. It's a nice big uh, Nickelodeon box set in a single keep case. Everything is in one great big giant keep case. So um don't don't damage it because you'll have a hard time finding a replacement case for this thing. But yeah, it's uh, 26 discs, 9 seasons. I didn't even realize the show ran that long. That's a, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. right? These things all. have been around it's for a
1: while. Uh, that cartoon, pre- our cartoon president, cartoon president season yeah. three. Uh, interesting. That they, that they seem to have made the pivot from, from the previous administration to the new administration season three, though, is that still, uh, still, while Donald was, was, was president. So, yeah, 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 it
0: is. It is indeed. It's uh, the, the, the tagline on it is who will be the next. So uh, they, you know, they obviously are, are trying to get ahead of themselves and, uh, there's a lot of uh, election-related stuff in here. Uh it, It's it's cute. It's, it's,
1: you know what I liked
0: about cartoon for
1: because I didn't I didn't I ignored it for the whole first season because I didn't feel yeah. like watching a bunch of. Cartoons poking yeah. holes in Donald Trump, but when I when I finally did come 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 to it and, and watch a few episodes, and I realized it didn't really have much to do with him at all, I, that everybody no. is skewered, and that the reporters, oh, everyone. The, it, everyone, no one yeah. is off the hook. So Joe Biden is not going to do any better than Donald did. And that, oh and that no, no 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 they the, they it's
0: it's the whole circus, it's the political circus yeah. that they're really yeah. skewering. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. a cute show. G- I like I, that it, much it, You better. know, I'm kind of warming to it as well, but. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, it's still not funny, but I like, uh, that, but I like that about it. You know
0: what I mean? Oh, yeah, Showtime on I mean, Your Honor, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Your Honor on Showtime with Brian Cranston, who continues to be uh, just an absolutely superb actor, although I kind of feel like uh, he hasn't yet gained his full... F- Post Breaking Bad footing, he's still the guy from Breaking Bad who's doing good work. I think he's still shadowed by Breaking Bad to a very significant degree. Um, but nonetheless, this is a uh, this is a ten episode legal thriller uh, that got a lot of attention, a lot of respect. Um, he, he Cranston plays a you know a judge with uh, with wh- whose son has legal troubles, and that creates a you know whole a uh, family situation that reverberates out into the community. Um, yeah, it, it, real solid, you know, real solid, but Cranston still, I think he still needs, uh, he still needs that gig to get him, you know, out from under the, uh, the breaking bad thing. Man, um, uh, your, your, his dark materials, uh,
1: which is the series that I want you yeah, to do, McAvoy and a few others. You know what I love about these series? Um uh, for one, they're sort of little girl-centric, you know, the, at the center yeah. of that series and so many of these other series. It's generally speaking a little girl or a young woman, um, however you want to shape it. This one is too. sort of fantastical, uh, and it, it, it was sort of interesting, uh, lin well Miranda shows up, I think, in that second season. Is that what you have there, the second season of His Dark Materials?
0: That is correct. It is. This is the um, the complete second season Blu-ray and uh, and uh, digital copy. You know what I like about that? I, <laughs> yeah. I, forget,
1: I forget the name of the guy who created that series, but it's not terribly, terribly old. He he started writing though. He's a ju- he was a junior high teacher, uh, and he started, oh no kidding yeah, and he started writing that series like in the eighties. Uh, and just create that entire, it's not one of, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like one of these things from the sixties or fifties or thirties, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tolkien or something like that. He's just this guy who was a junior high teacher and, uh, and, and he, and he, he kind of got into the stuff that the kids were into and he thought, well, yeah, I think I could write a, a story that my junior high kids would like. And he would write them and he would read them to his kids and they loved them and he just expanded them. And now he's, uh, you know,
0: needless to say, not a junior high teacher anymore. I uh, see, I love those stories. I mean, look, J.K. Rowling was homeless at one point, you living go. in her car. Yeah, you know. living in her car, and I love that. I just, I love hearing those stories. Just keep on plugging away, uh, keep on plugging away. So that's season two. That is season two.
1: Uh, that is season uh, okay. two. Uh, Paris and Recreation. Uh, park the uh, sorry, Parks and
0: Recreation. Is that the complete? Yeah. is that, oh, is that the, the complete yeah. series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Um. Good. So, uh, th- here's what they've done. They've given us a complete Parks and Recreation Blu-ray set. And, uh, it's, it's really, I didn't expect this. You know, I, I, I guess I never really appreciated that Parks and Rec was that popular. To
1: be honest with you, I've never seen a single, I know that some of the most important figures in pop culture has come out of Parks and Rec. Childish Gambino, or what's his name? Yeah, yeah all Yeah. All these people who've gone on to become movie stars and TV stars. Never seen a single episode of Parks and Rec.
0: I've seen probably uh 10 episodes in broadcast and with this set I watched maybe another 10 or 15. And it's funny, uh there's some funny stuff. I got to get you know Amy Poehler, you, you you can't go wrong. Some of the guest guest spots on here are really really great. Um you know, this is this this has given us a no, like you said a lot of great stars have come out of this thing. Um uh, but it still has that quasi documentary thing that started with the office uh, where they kind of kind of play to the camera a little bit or, or- it's still that that whole stylistic signature is still very very much a part of it now chris pratt came out of here so you know we got to give him that yeah. he's a huge movie star now with Garden of the galaxy and jurassic world but um it's it still it still has that and i i just don't I, you know, I, I I don't know that I like it, I, I, but anyway. I, 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 for
1: the same reason, I was never particularly fond of either one of the office eye, as I yeah. say, the yeah. offices. Um, um, it's that thing. And I don't know what it is. Larry Sanders show did it, of course. Um, you know, the Larry Sanders show. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, no, Curb Your Enthusiasm.
0: Curb Your Enthusiasm, that's the one, that's Bacon, right. which you know, yeah. dude, um, and and also uh, American Family, American Family, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, the one yeah. with the Arrested Development, no, Modern, family. No, Sorry, modern, modern family. family,
1: Modern Family, yeah. Modern Family, yeah,
0: yeah, Modern Family. So they all kind of do that. But anyway, seven seasons. It's a nice. It's a really really nice set. And uh, you know, if you if you love the show, go for it. But you gotta you gotta like that particular approach. Well, only, you know, it get through some people. at us The Walking Dead season ten. So uh, The Walking Dead, complete 10th season, is not the final season. The final season starts this month in August. It's going to be coming up soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we're, we're nearing the end now. And um, that's, 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 well, basically, look, that's basically that's it. The Dead have been walking for quite a while now.
1: And, yeah. and, and they walk in various different shows on various, in various different cities. I think the other one said yeah. in Los Angeles, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. There might even be a third one. So it's not like the Walking Dead will ever actually stop walking. Um, and, 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 and 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 to be honest with you, I gotta tell you that's another one where I tapped out after about season five. It, it, it only wor- it can only work in a certain sort of way. Uh, these series, these Walking Dead series, and and you know they were interesting for a moment, but you know zombies did not stick with me as long as I don't know, say vampires. Vampires hung around a little bit longer for me.
0: It, I got tired. It, of it's never zombies. been my thing. Yeah, I got tired of zombies. Yes. Never quite been my thing. What is um, um
1: what is um uh, uh, uh Hercu- the Herculoids uh, the complete series? Oh my gosh,
0: dude! The Herculoids. Hold on, hold on. Let it's me. Uh, what the Think it is because I, I used to love. If I'm not mistaken. The Herculoids. It, 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 that is exactly what you think it is, and and that's part of the Warner Archive as well, which we touched on earlier. But it's TV, so we put it aside here. The Herculoids was the uh, the Hanna Barbera series. Okay. That, that kind of, sort of. that sort of He um, Stone Age thing with it's like a like a kind of a fantasy he manish uh, superhero team. It had that little blob thing. It had that uh, like triceratops that would shoot uh, shoot things out of its horn. It was it, you remember that? I, I
1: love that series. It, it was
0: uh, this mid 60s stuff we're talking about, right? Uh, I uh, animation, think, I animation. Think we're, I f- I think we're about uh, 74 with this one. So, so I guess they can't care. I remember the very early, yeah, Alex Toth
1: uh, created that series
0: and yeah, they was, it, 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 it was
1: fantastic. I loved all that stuff. Uh, Don Messick and Virginia Gregg and Owl's guys. Yeah.
0: It's not, it's not, it's not bad. You know, you, it, it's, it, it's a little silly in hindsight. You know, you're, you're talking kind of like a cross between He-Man and the Fantastic Four and I don't, and maybe, I don't know, Johnny Quest. I, I, hard to know, you know, but you, you, you got the little blob creatures. Uh, what are they called? Uh, <laughs> Gloop and Gleep. Yeah. Right? It, yeah, it's it, it was a fun idea. It didn't quite work out, but, you know, hey, why not? The Hercules. So that's out in a complete series on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive Collection as well. That is also M.O.D. I bet you that um, is just going to pop off the screen. I bet you it just pops off the screen. That animation looks, was insane
1: fun. back then. It's the primary colors uh, to the wall.
0: i uh, got a few National Geographic uh, seasons that have been added in for some of these shows as well. Uh, Running Wild with Bear Grylls uh, is now in season six. Uh, Dr. Oakley, Yukon vet, is in season nine. Heartland Docs DVM is in season three. Uh, Life Below Zero, Next Generation, which is really a good show. It's not about docs. That's in season two. That's that's really worth checking out. I would say, by the way, uh, if, if people haven't checked, look, looked at this, um, this is about basically people you know living off the grid in uh, in Alaska. And uh, man, that's you can. You can be part of America and not really be part of America. Hey, that that's what makes it (laughs) America. You can. can. Uh, And and then the last one, still dealing with doctors, is uh, is a new show uh, in its first season called "The Wildlife of Doctor Ole." And um, uh, Doctor Ole Alcumbrak is uh, this guy who runs an animal hospital uh, called White Mountain Animal Hospital uh, in Arizona, and uh, it's it's you know it's it's okay i mean i you know I, any of us who've had pets or who have loved ones who've had pets you've been to an animal hospital they're not the greatest place in the world it's kind of depressing yeah. but but you know there's a there's a way of making a a, a show out of it and they have uh, they have done that yep. but of, of all of these i gotta say that uh light below zero is great and running wild with bear grills you know is still is still pretty interesting now yeah it's, it's, that's all that geo right all Nat Geo. So, All Nat Geo.
1: That's Nat Geo. Yet Nat Geo is also the the producers of Genius uh, Aretha. Uh, that Aretha Franklin. That you know the Young Aretha Correct. Franklin series. I, yes. I, I'm still trying to get my mind around how some of these networks and and, and whatnot have have managed to metamorph themselves into. Uh, I don't know. I, it just never occurred to me to go watch the uh, series about Aretha Franklin on Nat Geo. Uh, Cynthia Ribeau is nominated from I know. for some Emmys. That's all. But nevertheless, I don't know. Nat Geo, do you have that one?
0: Got it right here. Season three of Genius. So what they do is that that each of these shows they they pick a different person to sort of uh, biographize. Is that a word? It That's is good. now, baby. Yeah, it is now. All right. So they 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 treat it. They give a dr- different dramatic treatment to a different uh, different historical figure of genius in each season. And season three is a, is Aretha Franklin. Um, what's going to be really interesting. And, and Cynthia is very good here. I mean, she is very good. Let's, let's take nothing from her. She's an Oscar nominated actress. She's, uh, she's extremely talented. She's a wonderful singer. Mm. Um, she looks a great deal like Aretha Franklin, probably more than Jennifer Hudson Mm -hmm. does, but Jennifer Hudson, uh, the bigger movie star and, and that forthcoming, uh, movie respect, which is coming out within, I think a month or so. Yeah. Um, that's going to be very interesting. How does this compare with that? I'm really curious. I'm really looking forward to Respect. I think I think the, uh, the trailer is tremendous, and obviously it has a bigger budget, but, you know, this has more time. Uh, this, this really, really stretched it out a, a, across a, a season, so really uh, blankets her life. So um, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, uh, Jennifer Hudson versus, versus uh, Cynthia Erivo.
1: Yeah. Uh, the uh, Courtney, Courtney P. Vance, uh, who's playing the Reverend C.L. Uh, Franklin in that one that you have yeah. there. Uh, he also nominated, if I'm not mistaken, for an Emmy. Yes, uh, correct. Uh, uh, that, so, yeah. You know, so Oscars versus Emmys. I don't know. I, it's it's going to be interesting to see how those things sort of play out and, 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 and matter in the world. Uh, so he, really of fun. course, Jennifer Hudson was tapped specifically and directly by Aretha before she passed. They were good friends, yes. Jennifer Hudson and Aretha yeah. Franklin, uh, to play her eventually. Um, uh, so you know um, that that's that's a thing. Um, well. You know, you're a series that I that I started off watching um, uh, early on, and it's it's released as Shameless. Now we're up to season eleven. I think you got season eleven there of Shameless. To be honest with you, I didn't know that series was still on. Uh, or maybe it's not. Maybe, is that the is that the uh, the, the the end
0: of the? Yeah, this gone. is the, this is the end of it. The eleventh season is the last one. Uh, it, it it did indeed tap out at eleven. And uh, I I will I will confess I just never really got this. I, I tried to watch a few episodes. I tried to sort of get into the the whole you know south side uh, <laughs> yeah. family yeah. family thing. Um, it just um, it. It and I can't quite tell you why it doesn't entirely work for me, um, because I, I I love William H Macy. You know, I think they surround him with a very good cast. I think some of the writing is sharp, but I think part of my problem may be that I'm sort of um, I've OD'd on dysfunctional family television, where it's a little dramatic and it's a little comedic, and we're supposed to laugh. And then you know, there's there's been a lot of that. And I guess I'm, you know, it just feels like I'm I'm at my limit. Oh, dude,
1: I'm way out ahead of you on that. I I wouldn't like that. Look, I wouldn't like that guy if he lived next door to me. <laughs> I wouldn't like him. I wouldn't like his sketchy kids. Uh, uh, you know, I, it, it's so, 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 I, and I wouldn't want to deal with their crap every day. So, and I get it. You know, I get it. You have these other sort of families, these people. These sort other, of, they happen. I grew up with some of them. I know you grew up with one or two of them. Yeah, uh, and uh, and you know, and the fact of the matter is, even in my family, you know, there there are people who are adjacent oh, yeah. to that kind of stuff. And you know what? That's I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I, you know, don't don't need to watch a TV show about this alcoholic every day. Um, All right, Tim,
0: Tim, Tim, you are you are the Doctor Who man. Oh, yeah, we got we got three here. We've we got two new ones from the Peter Davison years in the 1980s. The the King's Demons and a special edition of The Visitation. Visitation, Uh, And uh, then we have an old uh, classic one from the Patrick. Is it Trufton or Troughton? I always call them Patrick Mm Troughton. Uh, Okay, Patrick Troughton. I think the third Doctor, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yeah, this is from from 1966 to 1969, and this is a special edition of of what I understand is a very famous Who uh, adventure, The Tomb of the Cybermen.
1: Oh, is that, and as a matter of fact, he, Patrick was that the second doctor. You're familiar doctor. with the tomb of absolutely the tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, the, the, the of the Cybermen. It's, it's the initiation of the Cybermen story, uh, which goes on to this very day. Oh, uh, yeah, he was the second doctor because uh, yes, you know, Tom Baker's the fourth doctor, and uh, and that and that third doctor in there, the guy with the with the fluffy hair, and the, those are all those are all fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Davis, what is he? He was the one that was the sort of like tennis outfit. I think he was the Doctor in the '80s, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, uh-huh. he was. It was 82, 82 to 84 and a uh, very, very tennis outfit looking. Yes. He's got the, uh, the, the pullover V-neck sweater and the hat, little straw hat. It's uh, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all you. you the, the whole outfit is a little bit like trying too hard. You're like, well, ah, you know, you're just a little too casual there, dude. After a little, a, after casual. Tom Baker, you know, with the scarves and, and, and the fedoras, yeah, everybody. That's knows. right. <laughs> That's right. Baker was the guy who really kind of introduced a fashion sense, wasn't <laughs> it? Ah,
1: dude, I wore those. I wore those long scarves for years. Well, yeah. After watching that, yeah. So those are great, fantastic. Some Doctor Who's from across yeah. the century. There. Uh, what is uh, American Gods? That was that series. Um, yeah, that was literally that. What did only, that lasted three seasons? Uh,
0: American Gods season. This is season three from Stars. And uh, yeah, the uh, I, I was this was this was a um, based on Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Or Gaiman, how do you pronounce Gaiman? Gaiman. This Gaiman. I always, Gaiman. Said. I always Gaiman. said. Gaiman, yeah. So yeah, this is based on uh, on 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 his work, and uh, it's it's an interesting idea. It kind of tries to bridge the bridges across the superhero religious divide to the idea that that there are these these supernatural figures that are may actually be real. They are you know sort of our real life superheroes. I kind of, it, it's sort of a, a jump, you know, it's a little bit of a science fiction conceit, but it sort it sort of works. Um, the, uh, they, they, they introduce new characters in season three uh, and it, it's, it's a, it still feels like it's trying to find its footing and I'm not sure this show ever gets its footing. I'm not sure there's, there, there is a season four, mm. uh, dude, did this thing get canceled? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know if they got canceled I or not. I, yeah. I don't know. Even- <laughs> Well, anyway, I mean, some good, 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 performances here. I think a lot of these characters, uh, the, 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 actors that we're less familiar with will, will uh, obviously go on and have uh, more substantial careers. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, you know, I'm I'm very familiar with Norse mythology. I was very much into it as a kid. You know, I was in all the mythologies. I learned the Egyptian and Norse and Greco Roman and all that stuff. And mm. certainly we studied up a little bit on some, some other Middle Eastern mythologies. And, uh, I, I kind of understand where Gaiman is coming from, what he's trying to do, but it, it just, it also feels a little tiny bit, um, oh, I don't know, simplified in mm. some sense. It's mm. it's fine. It's fine. All right. Uh, Tim, did, did you ever watch The Critic?
1: Oh, yeah. I uh, love The Critic. A little, the little and squiggle vision.
0: Do, Very clever. Does it, does, it, does it reflect what we've gone through for far too long a period of our lives? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think John Lovitz. I think John Lovitz doing the voice of the critic absolutely captures a certain kind of critic that we know. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. The, um, uh, the who was who was who was that who was that guy that worked at uh, Entertainment Today when we were there thirty years ago? Sam Sam Frank Sam Frank
0: Sam Frank. Yeah, yeah. And, and his brother too, who's yeah.
1: actually who's actually wandering around this town pretending to be me. Um, yeah, uh, I remember it, that which was just bizarre, considering he was a small <laughs> Jewish man and I was a small black man, and and, and I'm like, you know, we were, we we're both we we're both kind of Jewish, but Frank, I, I, I forget what his brother's name was. I, I don't know what his, what his brother's name. Yeah, was. I can't remember either. But how he could actually get into movies pretending to be me was always fascinating. I never rattled him out. I love you. Go knock yourself out with it, right? If you if you can if you can get past the folks, do it. Well,
0: they're the critics. It, 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 it definitely, definitely, there is a there is a, a dash of Sam Franken here, and, and and a lot, you know, a little bit of Ebert, and and a few things, yeah. Oh, a little uh, bit of me
1: too. I'm not even gonna really, uh, gonna gonna
0: pretend, yeah. Yeah, But you know, it's a fun series, it's a fun little series there. It was, it was short lived, but it was it was a fun series. That's out from Mill Creek. Um, uh, Pennyworth, have you been watching
1: Pennyworth? I did watch uh, the a uh, couple of seasons of Pennyworth. Pennyworth, of course, uh, going on to become the, uh, the 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 valet, the man. Uh, for, yeah. for 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 uh, for Batman, Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, yeah, the the, the Pennyworth storyline uh, for me it's most interesting in the Gotham series, uh, which was about yeah. young you know young Batman, uh, you, know, you know little boy little boy Bruce Wayne, and uh, and and you know and Alfred, uh, who's who, who's the Pennyworth in there? Alfred was played by the Third Doctor's son, <laughs> which is a weird thing that I know. Um, uh, the that I don't know why I know that, um, uh, but nevertheless, that's who who played him, and I love the way Alfred was played by him. This sort of cockney, you know, yeah, uh, a yeah. badass street brawler, fighter guy, special special forces, and all of that. That's kind of the backstory for this Pennyworth guy, uh, who's yeah. even younger. The dates don't make any sense. <laughs> if, if, you, no, know, Al- then, you know, happen. Alfred would have to be one hundred and fifty years old. Um, uh, At this point, but whatever, you know, at least they kind of got the nature of the guy um, a a little bit more interesting.
0: Yeah, I I think it's a very interesting thing to suggest that before Alfred was Batman's butler, he was basically Steed from the (laughs) (laughs) event. Yeah, that's that's kind of sort of what this is trying to trying to do. Uh, I, I thought the premise was ridiculous, uh, but you know, by season two here, and this is what we have is the the complete second season on Blu-ray of Pennyworth. Um, I think they're kind of getting their footing, and what they're doing is they're letting go of all of the Gotham mythology mm. and just saying, you know what, it's Alfred, but we really don't need to worry about it. We're, we're just going to let this show be this show. Yeah, because all, that, all and, the other other crap is in the
1: future anyway. And it's most too of, much baggage. Most of this show takes place in the UK. Uh, yeah. um, and, uh, and you know, and he can just, he can just be this spy and they can figure out how to get him hooked up with Batman or Bruce Wayne. or Not yet. Bruce Wayne. Well, uh, Bruce Wayne's father, um,
0: uh, plays a role in this Pennyworth series. Yeah. All kinds of stuff that's going on. But so they're so, letting, it, it, they're letting, they're letting go of the baggage a little bit in the second season. And I think that's a that's a that's a smart thing to do. Um, Want to make mention of Drunk History here, um, a show that I just completely don't understand in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, I just don't. This is comedy, Comedy Central. Uh, this thing ran for six seasons. I do not understand how you squeeze six seasons out of this. De- uh, perhaps because Derek Waters is such a, is such a good host. Mm. Um, you know, he's 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 an engaging figure, so you can you can do whatever. But um, I, I I don't know, man. I just it, it, this was a this was a strange strange uh, show, and I don't you know. I mean, it, you have a lot of great comedians on the show and some whatever. But I mean, I don't know. The stories just kind of run thin at a certain point. It's it's not all as funny as as they seem to think that it is. Um, you know, they got some good guests. Again, Tiffany Haddish and Bill Hader and a lot of people. Will Ferrell produced this with Adam McKay. That's probably the only reason that they got it off the ground was because Will Ferrell and Adam McKay walked in and said, A show called Drunk History. Greenlit.
1: The only drunk sort of circumstance, same thing going back to that show, that, that series, Shameless, uh, that I ever found particularly funny and engaging in a consistent way is when, was when what was his name? Foster, I want to say Foster Brooks. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he's this guy, comedian, back in the 60s and 70s And his entire act was being drunk Being drunk on the Johnny Carson show Being drunk on the Variety show being, Dean, uh, Martin, Dean Martin, Dean his Martin bits is, with Dean Martin were amazing he, he, with Him he, with, the, with the martini And, the other, and that was his uh, whole bit His whole act was whatever he was doing He was drunk while he was doing it yes. And that's the only time I've ever found it funny John Pertweet and Sean Pertweet Yes, the there Pertweets. we go. That's, that's who I'm thinking of. Uh, John Pertwee was the third of. doctor and Sean Pertwee played two <laughs> <words>. <laughs> oh, It,
0: it <laughs> came to you. It kept working in the back of your head. As yeah, 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 uh, so anybody was thinking about it except me. I, I just want to say those Foster Brooks bits on the Dean Martin show were so funny. If you haven't seen them, go onto YouTube and, and dig some up They're They're all on there where every single one of them is the same. Dean Martin, by the way. Not, not to detour too much from this show, but this is how the show. This is how Dean Martin's show would go. Dean Martin's, everybody on Dean Martin's show would rehearse. They would write and they would rehearse and do the hell out of the show all week long. And Dean was never there. Dean is doing whatever Dean is doing. And then Friday, <laughs> Friday at like 4 p.m., Dean saunters in uh, for dress rehearsal and everything has to be on cue cards. Dean hasn't read a word of the show. He has no idea how the show is going to go. He just saunters in. Oh, everybody. All right, let's do this. Where do I go? And they sit him down and he just reads cue cards. He has no clue that every Dean Martin show is like this. And you can tell it's part of the joy, the charm of the yes. show is the Dean. This is the first time he's seeing any of this stuff. He has no idea where this is going. And the Foster Brooks bits are very simple. Dean is sitting in a bar, with a martini and a cigarette, and there's a guy on piano. He's playing piano, and Dean just sits there. And you can tell he's looking at the cue cards. And Foster just stumbles in and sits down at the bar next to him, and 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 says, uh, "How you doing?" And he starts doing his shtick. And the joke always is, "Oh, what do you do?" Oh, I'm a I'm a pilot. I'm a brain surgeon. I'm, you know, all these things. And and I'm on my way to work. And then and Dean loses it. He can't handle it. He just he's he's practically in tears because Foster is just making him laugh so hard because he's never seen this before. It's the first time he's reading any of this stuff off the cue card. And Foster Brooks is improvising a lot of this stuff, too. He's just winging a lot of these things, uh, and it's so funny. It's just great live television. It's, it's I mean, great Dean live knew that. Television.
1: Look, he, he, first of all, Dean Martin spent 20 years on a stage standing next to Jerry Lewis, and you never knew what the hell was going to come out of Jerry Lewis's mouth. What the hell? <laughs> what, right. what, 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 what do I need to rush for? I can, whatever you throw at me, Dean Martin, and, and, and those martinis – Never, ever a drop of alcohol in a single one of them. No, nope, yeah, Dean. That's, he, true. Dean that's a, true. Dean was a tittotable, so he was sharp as attack. And uh, and it's what made the show fun and sexy. And again, look, that show was so sexy. And Dean is flirting. Oh, Dean, who was married for ten thousand years to the same woman and had fifteen hundred eleven kids. kids he's, right, he's, eleven he's, kids. He's like he, he was, he was, he was, he, he was the the a uh, homebody, uh, uh, family man. The, the exact opposite of that guy that he was playing. In uh, a lot of movies, You play that guy in a lot of movies too, uh, but those shows were sexy and funny, and uh, and uh, you know you can't do any. Of, you can't smoke, drink, or say the kind of things that that, that those guys say to girls on TV anymore at it's all. It's so great, but that's okay. It's, it's all so it's all on YouTube. It's all on YouTube. Uh, what do you got next?
0: Uh, real, real quickly the uh, the HBO series CB Strike uh, oh, yeah. in the second season. CB Strike Lethal White. Uh, for those who don't know. These are based uh, – this series is based on the books uh, by Robert Galbraith. Now, Robert Galbraith is a very interesting author. We know Robert Galbraith uh, by by his other name, which is J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Or rather, J.K. Rowling writes under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how this works. Uh, so anyway, these are, these are uh, the, based on the strike novels. And, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling very clearly understood that after she had written uh, Harry Potter – the, the name JK Rowling could never be associated with any other book series and that she would probably never outdo that. So she's kind of dialed it back. These are, these are fine. These, these novels. Um, I read one, uh, you know, haven't, haven't read the other, but there it's, it's very, very, it's, you know, it's, 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 this is just straight up PI stuff. Uh, holiday Granger is absolutely great in this. She's really wonderful. Uh, Cormoran strike, uh, is, is who, you know, uh, plays the, the main private detective is uh, played by uh, uh tom burke yeah. who, who's good i frankly i think holiday granger who plays robin ellicott is the is the more interesting character here even though strike is technically the main character i think holiday granger is the one who's sort of channeling jk rowling herself mm. in this that's what what i i find sort of interesting yeah. but anyway it's straight up pi stuff you know it's it's two pis and the whole thing and their uh, their you know how they they're working on crimes and their private lives and all that stuff. So I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty sharp. Um, they don't try to overdo it. It's only four episodes in the second season. Uh, it's worth checking out yeah, if you haven't perfe- seen it before. Uh, the,
1: the books perfectly service all that perfectly serviceable stuff. Hey you know, nothing magical. Nobody's flying. It's just crime. Uh, and she wanted to write as a grown up. It is it is a little weird to me that like like back in the day uh, you know Agatha Christie did that once or twice. So she's write under a different name. But no one knew that she was writing under that. Uh, other name for, for for years and years and years decades now uh you look at it based on the novels of jk rowling writing as robert gulp Ga- Ga- you know and i get it you put yeah. them out to let them you let them have a moment in, in, in the air and then you, you say oh it's me it's me <laughs> i yeah. actually yeah. Uh, but you liked it before you knew it was me so now you can't that's hate right. it you know and i'm like oh, okay, right. okay 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 you know but that's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's <cool. laughs> Whatever. Uh, we got season one of Gangs of London, yeah. uh, which which is an AMC series. Um, pretty brutal, I got to be honest. I'm Man. really kind of surprised uh, at how violent this show is for AMC. I mean, we obviously, you know, Sherman Augustus, a good friend of this podcast and a long-time long friend of yours, um, we, we, you know, his, his uh, first appearance on Into uh, the Badlands he took a guy's head off. Uh, I, I always remember that. I'm like, uh, and, and kicked it like a soccer ball. I still remember that. That 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 bridge fight where they introduced Nathaniel Moon is like, damn, that's brutal. Jeez, wow. So AMC's kind of been drifting in this direction for a little bit, but um, uh, this is kind of upping the game a little bit. So uh, good on them. You know, I think, it's, I think it's really, really impressive, but it's still, this is a brutal show. Just be prepared for that going in. Gangs of London, yeah. uh, season one. The, uh, they, it's, it's funny, they, they, they quote one of the, right on the, on the, the packaging here, they quote uh, a, a newspaper review, Game of Thrones, but without the dragons. <laughs> I think that's kind of accurate. <laughs> I think that's kind of it. You know what really has a sense
1: well, of the, uh, to me is the, is the sort of classic
0: um, um, say 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 mid
1: 60s <laughs> frankly through the early 90s um uh british gangster films mostly films so we, we things like uh gangster number 1 the craze that craze brother oh, yeah, films yeah, yeah. from the, from the 90s and you just crank it all the way back to the to, to the original um uh getaway that uh, yeah. or, 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 or get carter i should say uh,
0: get, get get carter uh, italian job yeah italian job you know it's stuff, it, stuff it like started, that. i mean this is all contemporary but but it
1: it, it reminds me of those sort of really really Crunchy ass British gangster films, right? Like I said, right from yeah. the start of mid nineties. Uh, I think you're right on the stuff. I think, right. uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. Star Trek. Talk about discovery. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, uh, season three. I mean, I'm a bigger fan of the whole Star Trek uh, world uh, uh, than, than you are. The, the thing that I that I do appreciate, and 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 I can poke, I can poke at all of it. I can poke at all of it. You know, a, a couple of those you know, the very contemporary movies with, um, uh, you know, I, I could poke at all of JJ's movies and all. That. I could poke it, but I, I will say this about them: at least they try to keep them all coherent within the Star Trek universe. They try to place them yeah. between this, this connects to that and this is that. And this, you know, all this kind of, they do that in these series. This one does it too. This one's cheating a little bit <laughs> now because they jumped um, from their own time, which of course was originally that period Uh, uh, What was the period? It was was post Enterprise, you know, uh, you know, yeah, it's like 24th century, I think, 24th century, but 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 um, so but pre, you know, Picard and 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 all that kind of stuff. The Pike is there. Now they've leaped, uh, like like you know, a a, a thousand years into the future. So the series now exists, say, like post Picard, even, um, um, which is kind of a cheat. Uh, season season season. Three there uh, uh, that you have sort of explains how that all comes to be, uh, and uh, and like I said, at least they explain their behavior and try to keep it connected to the to the rest of Roddenberry's universe a little bit.
0: They I I and I and I'll and I'll try to be a little bit kinder to it. I mean I I understand that and and I hate Picard. I think people know <laughs> that, that I really hate what they did in Picard. I think it's a dumb show. And and what bothers me with this a little bit is that. It, they're all still trying to they haven't quite figured out that everything on star i mean they have to some degree but they can't do it quite as well as Roddenberry and his writers did. They haven't quite figured out that everything on star trek um is somewhat metaphorical of the here and now right yeah there that it, that it is it is saying if we project our current conflicts into the future. Uh, if we project our current struggles into the future, our social problems, our family problems, our societal problems, our geopolitical problems, um, you know, what does that look like? If we assume that human nature is constant and that the things that, you know, that break up marriages, that bring people together, that loving your kids, that, you know, having character failings, all the things that make us human, if we just assume that all of that stuff is a constant, how does that what – what kind of future does that make? That's what Roddenberry and his writers always tried to do. And I, and I think sometimes they lose sight of that, and they, um, they think it's about the gimmicks. They think it's about uh, the hardware and uh, the melodrama and all of those things. And I think sometimes the human element gets a little bit lost. Pushing it a 1,000 years into the future – kind of, you know, you're right, it's a cheat and and it takes you sort of away from the human element on some level. I mean, I am never going to, you know, time travel is interesting if it's within a time frame that I can handle. Oh, like, sure. Patrick's time travel... You know, they always traveled back to, even when they weren't technically time traveling. <laughs> yeah, it was always relative to our day or something. You know, they go to a planet where there are where there are still Nazis or where there are still thirties uh, era gangsters, right? A piece of the action, yeah. you know? or just back uh, to the sixties. You know, or or back or or with Edith Keeler, right? Yeah. It, that oh my goodness, you know, the she she's we, we have to let her die yeah. so that uh, you know John Collins played by, played by played right. Collins. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, exactly. Look, yeah. The other thing that that the original star trek series well, well all of the all of the roddenberry you know actually produced series would often do is speak to the future by simply by not speaking to the future in other words he he solved problems and simply let us see them as solved in the series, so the, the, in the show. Although, though, though he didn't solve the problem on the show. So, so Michelle uh, uh, Nichols sitting there, uh, uh, and, you, you know, being 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 the the, the, the communications officer, and, and, and Zulu sitting there, all being all Chinese and black, being the, He solved th- those problems yeah. by simply putting them there. Uh, and 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 so on and so forth, and then every now and again he would speak to them directly. I'm black on the left side he's black well, he's white yeah. on the right he sometimes he would speak to them directly, but very, but he'd have to always sometimes yeah. uh, the thing itself uh by putting the black woman in space, he told us that there will be black people in space <laughs> without having to say anything about it um and you know discovery and some yeah. of the other series, you know what I do like about Picard I know we have to move on, but the one thing that I like about Picard is that. Picard in that series is ninety five years old, and he says so. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's the thing that I mean about them trying because that's he he Picard when when Picard was roaming around on uh, the Enterprise he was a fifty year old man thirty years ago. Yeah, uh, Patrick yeah. Stewart is eighty something years old, uh, and, and he was playing a, a character who was slightly older than him. And so I love that they let him be ninety five. In the, in that in that series, and they even explain why. It's because he has that uh, nuclear powered
0: heart that he got uh, when he was was a kid. And yet, William Shatner is in his nineties, <laughs> and he's making movies where he he has bed scenes with Gene Smart. <laughs> I'm sorry, and playing playing a guy in his eighties, uh, yeah, in his nineties, playing a guy. In his, so I love all that
1: stuff. I just I just think yeah. I mean, they should have never killed Kirk. In that, in that stupid-ass movie.
0: Uh, you to bring him back. Uh, you know, I wanted to play Kirk one more time. One more time, baby. Kirk one more time. You know, one more time, man. I Didn't knew
1: you know, that was a mistake. I always I, He
0: wanted to do it. He, you know,
1: he, 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 you know, oh, of course. He, he, he kill my you asshole. Uh, don't kill the guy we love. Uh, as long as he's alive, as long as you're alive, Bill, Kirk is alive. Yeah. That's the way that should be.
0: Uh, make quick mention of a couple here. Uh, we've got a little, uh, a little, uh, kind of psychotic thriller from, uh, from, uh, Shudder called Lucky. This is a Shudder original. Uh, it's kind of a time travel-y horror thing. I don't know that it, it really quite works. Uh, it tries to be a little bit, uh, a bit of social commentary as well about, uh, you know, uh, the whole self-help scene. The whole thing kind of centers around a, uh, a self-help author. Um, But, uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a little bit spooky. She's, she's being, she's being stalked by somebody that nobody else appears to be able to see. Uh, but, but the, uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really work, but the scares are good. That's the thing. Mm. The scares are, are smart. So it's a, it's a conceit that kind of, it doesn't really work on a logical sense, but viscerally they're able to make it work. Um, and then we've got, uh, the, the Ultraman Ultra Galaxy series, which I, I lost track of Ultraman uh-huh. at a certain point. But anyway, this is Ultraman Ultra Galaxy, which has a couple of movies on it and the original series. I'm gonna tell you something. You know what sets this apart from other Ultraman series, Tim? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> it's the same. It's absolutely the same. Nothing. It's it's all it's like it's like Power Rangers. It's it they can they can have a million of these. They're all exactly the same. Um. They're exactly the same. So anyway, uh that is uh that's out there now from Mill Creek, the Ultraman Ultra Galaxy uh movie combo and series boxed set on Blu-ray. Check it out. But it's not it's not anything different. Yeah. It's the same thing. <gasps> over and over. Oh
1: boy, oh boy oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> what is what is the what um, is defending Jacob with, with Chris Evans?
0: Yeah, defending Jacob. So I, I, I had missed this. Uh, Chris Evans and Michelle Dockery, the wonderful Michelle Dockery from uh, Downton Abbey, who's desperately trying to, to make a career of herself, not in period costume. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evans is trying
1: to make a career for himself, not in tights.
0: Not in tights, exactly. So they're, they're, they both kind of have a common mission here, which is please don't associate us with the we you're trying to escape our typecasting. No, this is good. This is based on a, uh, a best selling novel. Also called Defending Jacob, uh, which is um, uh, about a, a – it's a crime thing. You know, it's a Massachusetts crime thing. Um, directed by Morton Tilden, which who makes it much better than it really has any business, being Morton Tildum, of course, was the uh, director of the Oscar-nominated The Imitation Game. Yeah. And um, the uh, – the, it, it's a uh, – it's it's a limited series <coughs> that should probably only have been a movie to be honest mm. but it's good you know it's a there's a there's a crime and uh, chris evans plays the da and uh jk simmons is is really really scary in a sporting part that i i, I won't divulge but uh you know it's 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 fine i mean um uh it just doesn't transcend being a crime film it only works because it has these these great actors in it and because morton tildom is a really really good director but otherwise you know it's a it's a limited series crime story nothing nothing earth-shaking mm. uh, season three of border town oh yeah from kino lorber this is uh this is out there and uh, if you've seen seasons one and two you know exactly what to get this is a finish series uh very, very uh, gritty and tough and well acted and well put together, and they don't have a lot of money in Finland to make a uh, series like this. So um it's quite impressive. Uh obviously a lot of government funding in this, but it's it's different, and it's nice hearing people speak Finnish because it's such an unusual language. Mm. Uh and then the last two in television, before we kind of start to wrap up here, uh Charm, the original Charm, oh. uh Blu-ray, fourth season. Yeah. yeah. Uh it's just it's it's kind of wild seeing um I love I love Rose McGowan so young. Well, you know, Rose McGowan,
1: who, who of course took over for Shannon Dougherty, uh, yeah. who was the original, you know, of the little set uh, yeah. of. I, I don't know, whatever I have in the stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of the current. Charmed uh that just wrapped up, which I which of, I'm yeah. not
0: really watching. it's uh, does it compare well with the first? Actually,
1: it does. It does. You know, it sort of lives in the same space, and uh, and, and and you know, they're they're doing the sort of whole diversity thing with the Latinas and and and, and, yeah. and the black witch and all this kind of stuff. stuff like, but I'm, I just love that charm series. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, it was one of the original girl power series. It's what it really is.
0: Sweet. All right, uh, and then the very very last one we have here is Seance. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was also a, uh, made for Shudder. This is on Blu ray. Has a, has a nice, uh, has a nice cast in it. I, I think all four of these actresses, uh, really do have a future. Uh, Suki Waterhouse, Madison Beatty, uh, LRA Smith, and Inanna Sarkis. Mm-hmm. They are all worth watching. They're gonna show up in other series and movies, and they're, they're gonna go on to bigger and better things. Um, it's a Girls' Academy thing. We know how those things go. You know, the title tells you everything. It's called Seance, and it takes place at a Girls' Academy. <laughs> okay. You can kind of figure out what goes on. You know, you know what happens. They have a séance, and Tim, you know what happens no, when no, they have no, a séance? Thinking it's going to go badly. No, <laughs> nothing, nothing happens. It goes perfectly well. It goes perfectly well, and uh, it's like uh, 15 minutes in, it ends, and it's over. It's it's great. They they're like, hey, we had a great séance. Nothing happened. <gasps> oh, no no ghosts. No nothing. Nothing. Nothing happened. <laughs> that's wild. There you that's go. wild. wild. Um, it, what, we have uh, just a few minutes left, and then I'm gonna uh, I, I'm gonna take over and do a little solo run through on some anime that has accumulated. We need to we need to kind of put a dent in our anime. Man, a lot has come in. There's a lot of great anime, so I'm going to do a. I'm going to let Tim go, so I don't uh, bore him stiff with the with the anime stuff. But before we get to that, um, just a few other little things I might want to make mention of here. The uh, classic flicks is finally releasing restorations of Little Rascals. They have put oh classic wow, flicks Flix F-L-F-L-I-X. You can go to uh, you can you can find out more at uh, classicflicks.com. Um, they are remastering all the old Little Rascals stuff, and it is wonderful. It is beautiful. It is pristine. They have two volumes of restorations, more to come. And, uh, it, it's, it, it, they're, they're doing all the, they're doing it there. I mean, it's a lot to do. And little rascals has been a public domain thing forever. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're, this is, this is a very uh, laborious effort and it's a labor of love. And I really, really, uh, tip my hat to them. Uh, they're doing a wonderful job here, uh, you know, taking all the old Hal Roach material and, uh, and you know, bringing it back in a way that may even wind up looking better than it did, than it did when it was originally released. But so, so many amazing talents here. Jackie Cooper, mm. uh, for crying out loud, when he was a little kid, he still had that that expressive face. Yeah. Jackie Cooper, who, who, of course, you know, w- most of us, you and I, we grew up th- knowing Jackie Cooper from Superman. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah it's
1: it's, it's in, and and uh, you know, running around playing Perry White. And I wonder and i don't i'm not going to go look i i'll just i'll just depress myself but i wonder uh if all of the original uh gang uh is gone uh, cuz I, I can i'm, I'm kind of picking them off in my head here i can some of them some of them you know in the last 10 or 15 or 20 years stiney the, uh, i remember when stiney yes. split uh i don't know yeah i guess they're all, all gone huh
0: to my to my uh, my understanding is that of all the generations of of our gang little rascals the only surviving actor to this day is Robert Blake, oh wow, I think Robert Blake is the last because he was from that very, very last yeah, one, yeah, he was the last group, and uh I think Robert Blake is the last one, yeah, to my knowledge, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Interesting, yeah, man. It's, it's just funny how those kids lasted in our lives, uh, just as as, as 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 you know, images into these people that we for fifty years, my entire life.
0: I know. Wow, that's wow. No, yeah, that's that's nuts. It's crazy, yeah. right? um maybe maybe uh knock off uh, so we we've got we've got some some 4ks criteria we're not going to get through all of this we've got 4ks criterions and era.
1: is that is, is the snatch is that the original movie from 2000? Yeah. Or is that
0: the series that they, that they knocked off a- yeah let's 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 hit these uh these, these 4ks real quickly um yeah, this is uh, this is the original um, Guy Ritchie snatch with Brad Pitt doing doing that mumbling. I love that, that, that makes everybody laugh. Although
1: he was completely uh, and totally biting Benicio del Toro from the, the anyway. Whatever, uh, I want to absolutely. It. And Benicio del Toro's in this
0: movie. You have yeah. wonders. Like, <laughs> like, do, are you do you take this personally? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is snatch. It, it's got movies anywhere code on it. Uh, it's beautiful HDR, uh, and it is one of Guy Ritchie's more popular movies. It is on 4K. And comes with all the uh the loaded extras on producer and director commentary deleted scenes with commentary featurettes storyboard comparisons and all that fun stuff so if you're a guy Ritchie fan man that's a that's a that's a glorious one um mortal combat the new one the yeah this is this is the uh, the, the uh i'm just i'm sorry but this is just uh you know really unfortunate um <laughs> yeah this is – I'm sorry. It's just I, I just don't know what to make of this. But yeah, this is the new the new Mortal Kombat, which uh, I, I, you know, it, I guess if you're a fan of the game, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. Um, I think there are some things in it that are that are good. Look, Cole Young is very good in this. I don't want to take anything away from Cole L- Young. Louis
1: Tan too, for that <laughs> matter. They're both pretty good. But, but to be one. honest
0: with you, and Lewis Tan is very very good. I did the junket for the original Mortal Kombat, which I think it was like
1: 1990 or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. That, that movie had its issues and sort of veered away from the game. This one tries to be, obviously, the special effects and all that stuff in this one are huge, uh, comparatively yeah. speaking. Uh, came out in April, if, if I'm not mistaken, of, um, yep. of 20. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, kind of when everything was kind of going sideways a little bit, but nevertheless yeah well come back
0: and then we and then uh, this is a this is a nice treat for people uh almost famous the oscar winning yeah. uh, almost famous uh, in a 4k steel book uh still a really good movie uh Cameron one of Cameron Crowe's best i think i still think uh yeah i mean you know uh Jerry Maguire is awfully good too yeah. but uh anyway this is a great movie uh Billy Crudup is is just terrific in this uh you know it, you can't take anything away from this movie made, really, made, really uh, made, made Kate
1: Hudson, the movie star.
0: It is, it is, and it is it is basically his autobiography. This is how he kind of, you know, came to be Cameron Crowe. So he won an Oscar for it. It's 4K Ultra HD and digital copy on a wonderful Paramount uh, uh, steelbook. Mm. You're going to want to get this for sure. Um, a, a couple of box sets. Well, just in a couple of minutes that so we have no, left. No, I wanna, really, I wanna... really wacky combo there. Eddie Murphy and Christopher Walken. Oh
1: yeah! What a wacky
0: combo uh, there, the forty-eight you know, hours and the in the uh, I, in the, uh, in the I, I set this. Aside. I set this aside. So uh, the notes that I sent you. The reason. The, the reason I did this. I set this aside because I wanted to highlight two of the great actors of the eighties uh, that you and I both love. Yeah. I wanted us to have just a minute to talk about this. Um, so, so uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, they have Paramount has now released as part of its Paramount Select, uh, Paramount Presents series. Paramount Presents. Uh, they have released 48 Hours and another 48 Hours. Mm-hmm. Um, from and, and these movies are separated by quite a, quite a period of time. 48 Hours was the movie that really, really established Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. um, in 1982. He was coming right out of Saturday Night Live. Yeah,
1: still on Saturday Night, they, Night Live, yeah.
0: And he's still on Saturday Night Live. And And the question is, do you put him in a comedy? And they didn't. Walter Hill put him in an action movie, an action buddy movie. We hadn't now. Now I want to, I want to remind everybody that before there were the lethal weapon movies, before there were all of these other action buddy Mm -hmm. movies, there were no action buddy movies. 48 hours is the first. This was the first one. And it was basically taking the old, uh, we talked earlier about uh, Jerry Lewis and, and Dean Martin. Yeah, it was taking the Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin dynamic and bringing it into a Walter Hill action movie with violence and James Remar and guns and the whole thing, and and it worked. Oh yeah, I mean it worked. Nick Nolte is crusty and and grumpy, and Eddie Murphy is hilarious and smart. And it's a it's you know it's a great premise. It's still a great movie. Walter Hill directs the hell out of this thing um james remar is terrific in it uh, uh eddie murphy modulates it perfectly eddie murphy's career would not have been the same without this movie oh, wow. because yeah. he plays he plays the drama and he plays the comedy and he plays them both beautifully and yeah. knows how to modulate it. yeah. it's it's brilliant yeah
1: yeah his energy level is fantastic uh, uh, uh nick nolte is really great in that movie too uh roger Spottiswood, uh one of the writers uh, yes, uh, that's of,
0: right of, uh, of, of 48 Hours Fantastic, yeah Now, another 48 Hours in 1990 How do you feel about that?
1: Uh, you know, look, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing it again is doing it again I remember seeing the movie in 1990 uh, And and actually enjoying it on the day Haven't, literally, haven't seen another 48 Hours since 48 Hours I've seen 150 times uh, yeah. uh, So, you know, I don't know Perhaps that says something about it
0: Yeah, I agree Uh, Christopher Walken, I want to make mention of the collector's edition of Dead Zone from Shout Factory. Uh, David Cronenberg directed Dead Zone in which uh, uh, um, uh, Martin Sheen plays a guy who wants to be president. Little did we know that on uh, on television <laughs> he would eventually become president. Yeah, different kind of president, uh, but nevertheless. Yeah. But it's so weird and funny watching it, knowing that in hindsight. It's so weird. In any case, The Dead Zone has also become a television series, but nothing like the original uh, adaptation of Stephen King's book by mm-hmm. uh, Cronenberg. I think this is an amazing movie. I think it really is one of Cronenberg's best. Um, I think it's one of the best adaptations of Stephen King. I think it's just a perfect uh, mix of of people and Christopher Walken should have at least been Oscar nominated for this. Yeah. Great cast. But let me now take us then quickly to more recent Christopher Walken, Christopher Walken and Percy versus Goliath. Tim, I don't know if you saw this. I covered this on film week yeah. it's out only on DVD, not on Blu-ray. Uh, but this is kind of an amazing story. Uh, this is a Canadian story, uh Canadian film. Christopher Walken plays an actual figure you may have heard of who was a farmer and he was sued by Monsanto mm-hmm. for violating their copyright. Their that, patents, that whole, that their whole GMO thing, man. This is a real thing. GMO yeah. thing. Yeah, this was an amazing story. And he fought them, and he won, and he eventually became a legislator in in, in Canada. But it's a, it's a real. I mean, it is a real. As the title tells you, a real David versus Goliath story. This is a guy who, just because his crops were were accidentally contaminated by Monsanto. And one of their GMO patented yields that that they then went after him and tried to destroy him, and he said, "Hey man, I can't be held responsible just because something fell off a truck or whatever." Yeah, and it's a really it's a really
1: fascinating story sure, because because, because not, the wind blows, duh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because your crap is blowing over there. I should be showing you uh, directed by Clark Davis, Clark Johnson, um, um, uh, too, uh, who who's really uh, become a, a really sure hand of course we know. Clark as an actor, uh, yeah. homicide life on the streets and the sentinel, all, all that kind of stuff. But Clark was just a really interesting film, uh, uh, and a well-made film and, uh, good work on the part of Clark there.
0: So, uh, just a couple other things, just to wrap things out. We've got some some box sets here that I'd like to uh, to, to call people's attention to from Arrow. Three three box sets in particular. Um, if you got any birthdays coming up, or you want to get out in front of the holidays, Vengeance Trails, four classic westerns from uh, Lucio Fulci, Maurizio Lucidi, Massimo Delamo, and Antonio Margariti. As you can tell, these are not spaghetti westerns uh no these are all spaghetti westerns <laughs> and uh the the films are massacre time my name is pecos banditos and god said to Cain. um it's 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 really really fun these are these are otherwise overlooked spaghetti westerns and uh it's nice that they put them into a box set so that people could you know discover them as a group they do belong in, in the canon for sure um Weird Wisconsin, the Bill Rabain collection. Uh, this is a this is quite a trip. Uh, the, I am, of course, as everybody knows, a, a huge fan of uh, exploitation films, and uh, I was totally unaware of this. This is a uh, an independent filmmaker, Bill Rabain, who worked entirely in Wisconsin, and uh, you know he kind of was a minor actor at one point in in Hollywood, and he sort he sort of parlayed his 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 Hollywood work into becoming this like exploitation underground low budget maven in Wisconsin and uh it, it's quite quite amazing this is a uh, this is a collection of all of the films that he made in Wisconsin these these low budget you know genre things and they're they're crappy Uh, But they're fascinating because it's a Wisconsin film industry. It's the only one that ever existed. And they compile all this into this really interesting box set with tons of Mm. new interviews, a 60 page collector's booklet, um, some some rare short films, even outtakes and whatnot. They've done an amazing archival job of putting together all of this stuff. And it is a it is a it is a totally and completely fascinating um, look at 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 this moment. Six films, and then a, a documentary about you know Bill Rabine. Really, really worth checking out. Uh, I I do highly highly recommend it. Uh, it's it's utterly fascinating. <laughs> You want me to do that Sergio? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we got time. All those, okay. those giallo's, man. Cuz you know, I
1: like Sergio. There was a um, there's there's a there's a documentary uh, from him called Sergio Martini, the the, the the Genesis of Giallo or something like that. It, it came out yeah. it came out about 10 years ago. And he's just really great cuz he's sort of a historian too. He's you know, he made a whole lot of wonderful including the yeah. ones in
0: that collection there, films, but he's really sort of like a historian of the whole thing there. Well, Sergio, Sergio Martino was obviously a, a giallo uh, filmmaker, but again, yes, a giallo uh, scholar as well. And uh, this is a this is a collection, uh, the Sergio Martino collection, which includes uh, the films. The suspicious death of a minor, your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. No. And the case of the scorpion's tail. The case of the scorpion's tail is kind of the one he's, he's most yeah. famous for, I think, probably. Um, has a, that has a commentary on it by uh, Ernesto Gast, Gastaldi. Uh, moderated by a filmmaker named Federico Cadeo. Uh, that is that is an Italian commentary. That's an mm. Italian language commentary. Just warning you, you're gonna you're gonna read it in subtitles. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. It's the first time I've ever done that. I had a commentary that I had to read while while watching the film. But um, it's it's very very interesting. Case of the Scorpion's Tale is a very underrated uh, 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 movie. Um, and uh, there's also an interview on here with Sergio Martino and you know a bunch of other really great extras. The, the, I got to say, I, I don't think Your Vice is a Locked Key and Only I Have the Key is a, uh, is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key is a very good movie, but I love that title. Yeah, <laughs> it's, titles, yeah. Uh, it's a killer title. It's a killer title. And The Suspicious Death of a Minor is also very, very good. That has an audio commentary by Troy Howarth, who uh, who wrote the the book, literally the book, about 50 years of uh, Italian Jallo films, which is very, very good. That does not have subtitles and uh and then there is also uh an interview with Sergio Martino on that one as well. So, yeah, Sergio Martino really interesting figure um in in that particular uh, genre and uh, in Italian cinema in general and three films on the Sergio Martino collection from Arrow. Sweet. All right, with that Tim, I'm going to let you go and then I'm going to dovetail into some uh, some uh anime here. Uh, I don't know if you've seen lately, but there, anime is even showing up on, I've been watching the Olympics, and uh, there there's like anime television commercials now. Oh, it's fantastic. Plugging fast food, <laughs> plugging fast food. It's ridiculous. I'm watching, I'm like, this is a fast food commercial done with anime. I don't understand. I don't need to see my French fries in anime. What the hell are you doing? So it tells you anime's gone mainstream. It's
1: gone mainstream. It absolutely has. My my little My little niece uh um, uh cameron who 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 of course you've you've met graduated from washington university in st louis and and design uh, uh, she got a job right away and what is she designing uh uh, that mostly mostly book covers but in a sort of anime style for these books that are it's just absolutely fantastic uh so there it is great it is
0: good on her that's that's
1: fantastic All all right to the audience i say i'll see you next i'll see you next time we record i'll let wade finish up what he's got
0: to do here and we are now going to wrap the show out with a little bit of anime coverage. We haven't talked about anime in quite some time and a lot of it uh, has come out. Anime comes out on a regular basis, but uh, streaming leaves anime a little bit out in the cold. Although Netflix paying attention to certain anime properties has done a very good job in raising the profile of some of these uh, some of these uh, these shows. And these properties, and uh, people now seek them out in other forms and some of the earlier versions. And uh, so Netflix has done a service there, but um, most of it still kind of tends to fall between the cracks. First one that really is worth mentioning is really interesting. This is the first 3D CG animated feature film from Studio Ghibli. It's called Earwig and the Witch. Uh, This is directed by Goro Miyazaki, not Hayao, but Goro and um it's it's interesting it's the first of two uh, franchises that we have here that are kind of based on a on a certain anglophile sensibility in anime which a lot of people who follow anime they they understand that there's a certain anglophile or a europhile sensibility that shows up a lot of stories take place in france and england and germany and and uh, you know not all anime is mecca not all anime is uh, necessarily japanese centric and japanese culture So, uh, Earwig and the Witch is basically a girl-centered Harry Potter story. Uh, The uh, the centers around a girl, a young English girl growing up in an orphanage, and uh, doesn't really know that that she comes from magical lineage, that her mom was a witch, and um, then she is taken in by this couple and adopted, and sort of learns about her legacy and her lineage, and um, and uh, her destiny is manifest in the process uh this is part of the studio ghibli and um uh deal with uh with uh g kids and uh studio ghibli and g kids have uh, released a lot of stuff in tandem and this is actually really quite good it's a nice set has a lot of uh uh, it's a nice packaging sleeve you know has a sleeve on it and uh has some extras on it storyboards and uh interviews with uh, with voice talent and featurettes it's it's good uh earwig and the witch from g kids uh also as long as we're talking about the uh anglophile sensibilities we also have emma a victorian romance seasons one and two uh this is this is kind of in keeping with the the inspiration here is clearly the writings of the bronte sisters. Uh, and it kind of uh, comes also by way a little bit of Downton Abbey uh, story of a maid and her romance uh, in Victorian England. And that's really it. It's uh, they they keep the drama going season over season between the two. I'm not quite sure if a third season would necessarily uh, be justified. But as it is, it's really kind of cool seeing anime superimposed on the world of Victorian England and the romantic uh, life of this maid, Emma. It's all Rather, very, very nicely done, so that is Emma, a Victorian romance, and that is from Nozomi. You can learn more about that from uh, that's part of the the right stuff um, is the distributor there Elfenlied from a d v films is uh, is kind of creepy this is uh, an e- extension of the Jekyll and Hyde thing that shows up every once in a while in anime in anime. Uh, We've got sort of two individuals that reside in the single girl and, uh, you know, how that that duality manifests itself uh, when she is sort of brought into the fold by uh, a couple of these two these two cousins. Um, It's a little creepy. It's uh, it means to be creepy, but the uh, the whole dualistic aspect to it is really kind of turning uh, Jekyll and Hyde or the Incredible Hulk or any of those other sort of dualistic concepts, really turning it up to 11 takes it in a whole new different direction. It's quite interesting. Uh, then we have a bunch here from uh, Sente that are worth talking about Um Sente has just brought out a, a whole bunch of cool new stuff killing bites the complete collection is a really good one to talk about this like most of them is based on a manga and uh it's uh it's you know in the werewolf vein it's humans who are who you know can transform into beasts or who live kind of a dualistic life part beast part human this is a big thing in in asian mythology it, it kind of finds its home a lot in anime uh, humans who are kind of, you know, part something and part something else. Um, and, uh, here they are called brutes and they are, uh, they're kind of like Dr. Moreau figures, you know, they have human brains and then beast body parts. Uh, in any case, uh, the mythology here is a little bit convoluted and, uh, takes some getting used to, but it, uh, it certainly does have its moments. Uh, Baki is a really, really interesting show. This is one of many anime series about Baki Baki is son of ogre it 's uh, you know kind of a, a fierce and ambitious uh mixed martial kind of underground mixed martial arts fighter and that 's the world that this takes place in uh, Netflix has sort of popularized this, but there have been a number of these series over over the last twenty years or so uh, This one is brand new and uh, this is uh, based on the most evil death row convicts manga storyline. That's the one that that sort of fuels this. There's a number of manga storylines around Baki and the most evil death row convicts is the story arc that this one is based around. It's 26 episodes, uh, three discs and uh, all of these by the way are on Blu-ray. That is also from the Sentia library. It's pretty brutal animation, kind of a shallow story. If you follow the Baki thing, it really sort of is a little bit repetitive, but Um, people watch it basically for the action and that's what it is Uh, Karakuri Circus the complete collection uh, again based on a manga and uh, this one is uh, it's a sort of unusual world that this lives in Um, I guess it's a thing uh, to perhaps in in Japan to uh, want to become a puppeteer but that's what this is sort of about this is about a uh, A boy who becomes very, very wealthy and uh, his aspiration is to become a puppeteer. And um, there are some others here, some other figures. Uh, One of them is uh, kind of has sort of a a strange um, kind of neurodiverse affliction, we could say. I'll sort of leave it at that. And uh, these they all have to sort of. uh, band together to fight this strange breed of of like uh they're not mecca they're like they're like sort of robots um in any case it's the emphasis on the circus part of karakuri it is uh it is a, it is a peculiar group of of heroes with peculiar aims and very unusual adversaries and uh you were really watching this just kind of for the extreme of it it is uh it it is interesting but it is a it really is kind of an acquired taste uh sword guy is quite beautifully drawn very very nice uh, also again based on uh, manga originally uh this was uh, from i think in about 2016 so this is about 5 years old and um it's uh it, it's sort of a you know a as the Title would suggest it is swordplay stuff, but it's like um, it's updated modern day swordplay stuff, and uh, it's all about a uh, a hero who you know has to uh, turn his takes this sword, this incredibly remarkable sword, and uh, it becomes a prosthetic limb, and uh, he then becomes you know a sort of mythical hero in the usual. Joseph Campbell hero's journey vein. Um, But nonetheless, sword guy, the animation uh, is as extreme as it sounds. It is actually really, really beautifully animated, very nicely drawn. Um, Not quite so nicely drawn, uh, but still engaging on a certain level is Dororo. Uh, This is a, um, the complete collection of Dororo, which uh, began as a 2007 film based on a 1960s era manga and um it's uh this is this is a a kind of an unusual story um it's it's not the most interesting if you aren't deeply deeply invested in sort of uh feudal mythology uh it it has a lot of um it 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 requires i think a little bit uh, a little bit of uh you need you need to be pretty deep into into anime of this type anything that that sort of develops these uh, these feudal mythologies uh and all of their their various subplots and and uh, eclectic characters you, you sort of have to you hit hit the round, ground running here it's not the uh it's not the most accessible but if you can get into it uh Dororo the complete collection is is fairly engaging Um, mysterious girlfriend X. What can I say about this? Uh, this is for people who like the whole school thing, uh, which is very, very much a part of, uh, anime. We talk about it all the time. The drama that takes place in school. Sometimes it's supernatural. Sometimes it's centered around sports. Sometimes it's, you know, very, very melodramatic. Um, in this case, this is just a straight up relationship narrative. And, um, You know, these with a few twisted uh, aspects to it uh, that mm, aren't exactly kid unfriendly. But, you know, uh, there's humor here that is probably needs a little vetting first. Um, But nonetheless, you know, if as far as the genre goes, it's it is relatively inoffensive uh to love rue darkness is uh the uh the third season of the um or the third installment of the uh the long-running and very very popular uh to love rue story and uh this has been around mm, fair amount of time uh it's you know the the original series goes all the way back to gosh what is it the the early 2000s i guess um, but, uh, you know, so if, if, it, if the story takes place in kind of a fictional city and it's about, you know, um, more of this, uh, these, um, the romantic travails of these kids and, uh, you, you know, then suddenly you get some aliens in, injected into the story and it becomes very supernatural. Uh, you know, again, very, very peculiar, very particular kind of anime storytelling stick with it. Uh, if that is your thing laid backers, um, didn't really get with this. I know a lot of people really, really enjoy this. Um, it's not my, not my speed, but it is for some people. This was, um, this is fairly recent and it takes place in the, uh, in modern Japan. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a family drama and it, all centered around the inheritance of a candy store. And then it dovetails into a supernatural family drama, uh, in a weird way because there's a, there's a defective reincarnation, uh, element to the story. And it never really takes flight. I think it, uh, it, it tries to be a little too far out and a little kind of the humor doesn't quite gel, but again, it has a, it has a following and I'm not necessarily part of that following uh the uh, the the fetishistic aspect of anime is on full display in queen's blade uh queen's blade uh was i think also uh an inspiration for a video game at one point but uh it has become nonetheless a, ra- a very huge franchise in a lot of ways and is very very popular and it's all based around this tournament which is called the queen's blade which happens every 4 years like the olympics uh, that, that sort of bestows the, the title of uh, decides who's going to be queen in this particular um, in this particular area, this continent, this empire. And um, it's a it, it gets a little bit uh, Hunger Games ish at a certain point. But it's also really in terms of the animation, it's very much centered around fetishistic imagery that is a uh, has a long-standing presence in Japan and Japanese culture generally. Not for kids, but maybe for certain people. Uh, the Fruit of Grisaya, along with the Labyrinth of Grisaya and the Eden of Grisaya, these are three, uh, three, uh, three different series that are all part of an overarching saga uh, that began with the Fruit of Grisaya, which is kind of, uh, it's not quite fetishistic but it is definitely rooted in in uh in we could call it fetishistic adjacent i guess in, in the current vernacular um it uh, there has been there have been video games based on this as well um but the uh the 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 story here very much follows what uh, a lot of people have enjoyed in the games and uh they are it's primarily sort of um Head play and melodrama. And uh, this has you know, been this has had a presence on television for quite some time. Uh, So if Grisaya is your thing, jump into that. I want to get down here to the these last two that we're going to touch on before I uh, call it quits here. Uh, Mayu is really, really cool and uh this was not based on a manga this is based on kind of a graphic novel series originally very let's not confuse that with manga this is uh, a step up from manga really really interesting artwork originally in the uh, the graphic novel which they translate beautifully into this show uh it's a uh, it's this is also sente sente blu-ray and um uh the i've only looked a little bit at uh, some of the online stuff for the original graphic novel, but it's beautiful artwork, and the show definitely, definitely does it uh, does it justice. Um, the story this takes place in a in a mythical fantasy world where humans and demons are forever at uh, at war, and you know they're obviously this is this is following kind of a Lord of the Rings uh, paradigm. Um, but the, uh, the direction that it goes is very unexpected. If you're accustomed to the traditional Western hero's journey and mythical collision of, you know, beasts and humans, um, it usually goes in a particular direction. This one doesn't. And, uh, it, it, it uh, it takes some unusual, uh, goes in unusual directions and has something very interesting to say about humanity and, uh, what holds humanity together and, and what actually causes war. Um, these kinds of narratives have grown out of post-war Japan uh, in a way very much um, as the Godzilla films do very much out of a paranoia about war and the consequences of war. Japan's loss of World War II was very, very psychically devastating to, to a certain generation. And so that is what sort of fuels a lot of the, uh, the different philosophical approach here. But um, it's really quite wonderful. Mayu Absolutely worth checking out. Complete collection from Sente. And then lastly, uh, I want to talk about Knights of Sidonia. This is the uh, complete series collection, and it is uh, five discs, 24 episodes. Really, really very, very challenging. This is, um, uh, it, it fits firmly in both the um, the mecha genre of anime, the, the, cyberpunk futuristic mecha genre that includes everything from robotech to uh even to something like transformers um and at the same time it's also very much in the uh in the same vein as things like uh like star blazers and uh space cruiser yamato which which is you know is sort of star wars uh inspired and some of it even predates star wars significantly um so it's uh, it is it is intergalactic it is mecca it is uh very very challenging and and daring and it has a lot of amazing animation and it's really incredible designs uh Sedonia of course is the uh, the starship here uh and uh it, it's you know this all takes place in uh, in the year 3394 which is a thousand years after the Earth was destroyed by the this alien race that they are still fighting and still trying to uh, trying to overcome, and um, uh, there everything that takes place here is sort of like a, a fascinating commentary on all of the. Um, the paranoia of our day. What will we allow science to do? How how deep will we allow our obsession with progress to go before we finally realize that, that there are ethical questions here that we probably shouldn't shouldn't uh, that we should uh, make a part of the process. That we shouldn't just sort of go for it all the time and you know whatever is possible. Uh, really, very very interesting. And again, the design here is just through the roof. It's really really impressive. Um, a little bit of Battlestar Galactica, a little bit of Star Wars, a lot of uh, a lot of things like Space Cruiser Yamato slash Star Blazers, and uh, you know pretty much every mecha series that has ever emerged from uh, Japanese anime finds inspiration; it is somehow inspires designs here. It is uh, it is first rate. Knights of Sidonia, the complete series collection from Sente via distributor Section 23. Uh, We'll call it there, and uh, we will uh, be back. Tim and I will be back in uh, probably about two weeks, sometime in the, uh, the middle of August. Uh, and uh, we hope you continue to have a good and safe time as things continue to be very, very unstable in the country. But wherever you live, whether or not there are surges, we hope you are taking every precaution. Stay safe, keep your loved ones safe, and uh, and hang in there. We're all going to get through this, and life will get back to normal. See you soon.